0: all
1: right bring it in read option back here on a tuesday and the whole crew is back from from the ashes returns the phoenix our man brian sanbedo is back after I think what we've determined is a month and a half away from the podcast. Our man has been, uh, I would like to say traveling and and seeing the world, but no, he's just been doing some, some good self self self-awareness, some self self self-help, you know, self-health, mental health, all that good stuff, taking a break, doing his thing, working a ton still. Uh, But he's back here with us all. Scotty's here as well. we got the whole crew back. And again, it's been, it's been a minute. There was a stretch for like, Two weeks where I was doing solo pods, and now it's it's everyone back all together, and uh, I cannot be happier. So, uh, Scotty, we'll get to you in a second. I think that's only fair, because Vito, how are you, buddy?
0: I'm great, dude. It's just so good to be back with you guys. Uh, it's been a crazy month or so, so, um, you know, I've had, I, mean, I for those of you who don't know, I'm an ordained minister. And I had two weddings I performed in this last month. Um, some great friends of mine, and then actually my sister and her husband on the Jefferson Steps down in D.C., uh, the memorial. Yeah. It was beautiful, incredible. Wait, um, it was at the Jefferson Memorial Steps? Yeah. I'll send I did not know. You, you can do weddings there? Dude, uh, you get a permit. It's only 100 bucks, And uh, you're supposed to do it on the grass off to the side, but fuck that. We walked down to the main area. You look over the Washington Monument. It's about, yeah, you know, the water. That's beautiful. Gorgeous. And uh, so we did it down there who's in half Italian because his family, his name is Luigi, his family didn't speak English. So had to learn some Italian for the ceremony. So I, I, it's nice. just been a lot of extracurriculars, even outside of work and travel and everything. So um, thanks for holding it down. Obviously guys, thanks for letting me swing in when I can. Uh, I'm I'm just stoked to be back and talk some good old sports with you boys.
1: Yeah. Now this might be low hanging fruit, but does Luigi have a brother?
0: uncle named mario yeah. uncle. Oh. i can't wait i can't wait to see him so they're getting married in italy in, in in next summer like that's their real wedding this is just a small yeah family ceremony and like i cannot wait to meet mario and luigi and all their friends yeah,
1: mario and luigi oh, unbelievable that's, so that's incredible
0: waluigi. uh
1: scott Warrior. yeah you yeah you, you'll be the waluigi Luigi, <laughs> or uh, wario whatever they're called uh scotty how are you bud
2: I'm good, man. I managed to salvage thirty dollars out of yesterday's terrible football, so uh, I'm all right.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll be honest. Um, yesterday kind of sucked, and I, I we preach it every week on the pod about enjoying the games and having you know it's oh football now. Imagine if you could sit down and watch yesterday's slate of football in the middle of you know the spring when there's no when there's no games and there's no football. How oh, yeah. how much would you rather do that and and. While all that is true, yesterday objectively was bad football across the board. Even the close games weren't good football. I don't know.
0: Those last two games in the late window, though, and two overtime games on my TV, and everyone knows I'm a sucker for a tie. So, I like, that was the saving grace. But you're right. The first early window was bad. But we had four late window games, which was way better than usual.
1: Always. I mean, it's always better when you have four – over the three, I still am a believer in having it be split up like seven and five or whatever, yes. right? Having more, Agreed. always believer in that. But here but now we here, got
2: stupid Saturday games.
1: I like Saturday <laughs> games. I'll take the Saturday. There's no it takes college away
2: football. from red zone.
1: Yeah, yeah. but I I'm like red zone better when you can because there's always games that red zone ignores because yeah. they suck. So I'd always rather have that. Here's here's what I'll say about the games yesterday, and we'll get into all of them. We'll we'll break down you know, as, as much of it as we can and, and talk about this. The reason I say the game sucked yesterday is not because there weren't entertaining or exciting finishes, because there were, right? The, the overtime game against both Buffalo is exciting. Uh, the overtime game against San Francisco and, and, and Cincinnati was exciting. The thing is, is none of them were well-played games. Every game yesterday was one team getting way out in front. And this goes across the board, one o'clock and the late afternoons. It was one team getting way out in front of, an, of the other team, and then some teams just kept that big lead, and other teams let the other teams back into the game, right? There was no, like, well-played football. It was ugly, gross, mistake-filled penalties, bad defense, bad offense across the board. And, like, the Bucs game is a good example. Yes, that game was super entertaining, but the Bucs defense entirely just laid down. Like, it, it was a total effort thing. And I, you don't want to question guys' effort and stuff. I get it. But at the same time, so much of it was like defenses got comfortable with big leads and blew big leads and let other teams back into the game. That's not good football. I would much rather have seen Tampa Bay run through Buffalo all the way through rather than lay down and Josh Allen being a one-man show. Now, was it entertaining to watch Josh Allen on basically one foot go and lead them all the way back and get into overtime? Sure. It was, it was absolutely entertaining. But it was bad football. There there was no singular game that was like score for score, back and forth. This team leads, then this team leads, and oh, it goes into overtime. No, it was just ugly, kind of dog shit football across the board. And I'll still take that over not having football, as we kind of experienced on Saturday, really only having, you know, Army, Navy, and then a a couple of FCS playoff games, which I I definitely want to get into here before we touch on some of the NFL stuff. But – I don't know. I was very disappointed sitting in and watching the games yesterday, and just being like, "All these games suck." Like it's just poor clock management, poor disciplined, it, just ugly
0: football across the board on both sides of the ball in pretty much every game. It was weird to see it, like you said, so late in the season too. Like the cl- there were coaching mistakes all over, which like usually game management, you'll have a thing here or there, but there were there were like in the early window especially, and I know teams like you said there was that gap. But there was no, like, hey, let's try and push it. There was a lot of let's get into the halftime. Also, like, we don't know what to do with timeouts. How many timeouts? I forget who it was. It took, like, two timeouts in the first five minutes of the second half. And it was like, what is going on here? Like, there were a couple um, mistake-ridden games. And it was not very elegant football. But um, maybe I'm biased because I had a good betting day. But I did at least like the fact that uh, we had a couple – there were some big plays, whether that's because of bad defense or not, or, or bad offense. There were some big defensive plays, too, and some returns that were really fun to watch. But outside of those big plays, the content, you're right. Like Even the big matchup of a Bills and uh, you know Buccaneers game should be a much higher quality than what we saw. Mm-hmm. It should be, and it wasn't. And you're right. Josh Allen was really given an avenue to be a star player at the end of that game. I mean, the Bucs have amazing linebackers and a really good pass rush. Like, that shouldn't have happened as easily as it did.
1: Yeah, the Cowboys and Washington football team was the same thing. Mm -hmm. You know, like the Cowboys. And not to say that, you know, Washington didn't come out in the second half and start playing much better defense because they absolutely did. But with how – I mean, Dallas put up 18 points in the first quarter and then just laid down. Like, that's how it felt. And Dak with the horrible interception at the end of the game that got returned for the pick six to Kelly yeah. Holcomb, right? Like it, it was just ugly, ugly football. The bad teams were bad the Jets, the Jags, the Texans, the Lions. They were all bad. The Giants, too, right? Like all those teams were just bad, which is kind of at this point in the season, what we expect out of them. But to see, you know, like the, the Browns are up 24 to six and then didn't score another point for the rest of the game against the Ravens team that's been circling the dream, begging teams to beat them in the last few weeks and lost Lamar Jackson in the second quarter. Yeah. Right. You know, like that, that game shouldn't have been a two point conversion. And then, Oh, by the way, Baltimore also got the onside kick and went down to try to end up stealing the game last minute. Like these games shouldn't have gone the way that they did. Kansas city being the doors off of the Raiders hand up. I, I had not bought into the chiefs. I need to see the offense look the part. And they finally did this week. And now, I'm all I will be back in on the Chiefs. Mahomes still didn't look great individually, but they ran the ball really, really well. And and that's that's kind of where it just was a disappointing day. I know that the games themselves weren't let they didn't lend themselves to be an overall exciting day of football. I get that. But for all of these, you know, and again, the overtime games were both very entertaining, exciting to end the games with. It was riveting TV. You know, the Bengals tying the game A, the, from the fourth quarter on in both those games was awesome, very entertaining. But like the Bills put up 17 points in the fourth quarter. The Bengals put up 14 points in the fourth quarter, 14 points with less than 10 minutes to go in the fourth quarter to end up tying that game and sending it into overtime. But it was used the perfect word there, Scotty, or sorry, Vito. It was quality. It was low quality football, even though it's still entertaining, like, like pizza, like bad pizza. Domino's pizza is still delicious. But you're not really getting high quality pizza when you eat it, Scotty. It's what was the, your what was your take?
2: That's the office. It's either Alfredo's Pizza Kitchen or Pizza by Alfredo. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I uh, uh, look, man. It, it was it, it ended up nice for me because I got to watch uh, the Niners win after dismantling again in the second half um, for the second straight week. But um, but you're right. It, it was just it was not good quality. Um, you know, and we're here in week. Uh, what 14 of now great. And I know we have another week. So week week 14 of 18, but we're at a point now where, uh, you know, Scott hansen calls the witching hour, uh, every, every Sunday. Right. And, uh, and that's the, the point in the late third quarter, mid fourth quarter, uh, for teams that are largely playing in the early window that, uh, they're close games. They're one possession, two possession games. Uh, with a lot of time left on the clock where wins become losses and losses become wins. And now we're trying to see, you know, what teams are going to separate themselves at this point in the season. Cause now we've only got four weeks left to determine a whole in the AFC, for example, a whole slew of, of crap that I don't think there's a good team in the AFC right now, besides
0: uh, new England and Kansas city. Truthfully, if if the Broncos um, make the playoffs guys, Like we are not a good team. I love us. That's what, and that's part of what I'm saying. In the playoff picture, with like the Bills, who are objectively better than us, the Browns, the Bengals, and the Colts, we all the same record. How does that make any fucking sense? Right? Are the Bills good? It's a
2: similar. It's a similar (laughs) thing for me with the with the Niners. It's like great. (laughs) We make the playoffs with what two games over 500, maybe at best. And we still got to go play the Titans, who are in the the two seed. and we still have to play the, the Cardinals again and the, uh, and the Rams and the Seahawks all once again. So say the Niners make the playoffs in that scenario that you just laid out veto. Same thing. I don't want to be playing in that. When we got 10, 10 and three te- two 10 and three teams in Tampa Bay and green Bay, <clears throat> who we'd have to probably play one of those two in the first round. So I'm not there, man. It's just, it, it was a weird Sunday for me. Uh, because you're right, it was it was all about the the quality. Nobody really separated themselves, save for for maybe the Chiefs, and we'll get there.
0: Yeah, I, I do have one question for you guys. Quick, t- quick trivia, okay? The there are are uh, of the three highest current win streaks in the NFL. Number one is the Patriots, who have won seven games in a row. Number two are the Chiefs, who have won six in a row. And in third place, who do you think has that third place winning streak? And it's at five games. Miami Dolphins. It is. Which I didn't even know until I was just looking up some stuff today. The Dolphins and the Patriots in the same division have won seven and five in a row in AFC East, right? That, to me, like, when you talk about teams around here that take a turn, they're six and seven. So maybe, yeah, they they had a really, really bad start. But it's actually incredible to see some of these teams at the beginning of the year. You were like, oh, we wrote them off. They're coming back strong. It's all about the switching hour, like Scott's saying, at the end of the season, man. Everything happens in this last quarter poll of a race. You know, this is where a lot of teams make or break it. So I'm really, really excited to see what happens here.
1: It, we're we're hitting that point of the year where like I'm excited for the playoffs because the top, you know, the buff, you know, in the AFC, it kind of feels like hey, it's kind of anybody's ball game between New England. Yeah. Kansas city. And the only other team, I mean, you could throw the chargers in there would probably be the third team, right? The Colts, their kind of strategy and how their their team is built can beat anybody, right? Good defense running the football that shit travels on the road. That's what you've always heard in those cliches for years, the bills, right? With Josh Allen, you feel like even that game yesterday, right? Like they're in that game. If Josh Allen's foot is two inches inside when he's, diving for the pylon that's game set match and the bucks don't even get a chance to have the ball back and go Mm -hmm. down and score so i'm excited for the playoffs but i think for the remainder of the year we're kind of getting to this point where we realize there's probably about six good teams really like when you break it down you know i don't like the cowboys i don't trust the cowboys worth shit i i don't the offense has looked phenomenal at points The defense has looked awesome at points, but they've been wildly inconsistent all year. And the fact that they let Washington back in that game, not scoring any points in the second half, like that is very problematic because the Cowboys should have put, that should have been a 25 point win for Dallas without even batting an eyelash, but they completely let Washington back into the game and all of a sudden pick six and now Washington's got the ball with two and a half minutes left with two timeouts and a two minute warning. And they're driving down the field with a chance to tie the game. You know, that's the kind of stuff you can't do against Arizona or green Bay or Tampa Bay, or if they Dow somehow made the super bowl against any of the top teams in the AFC. So I feel like the remainder of the regular season, and I hope I'm wrong but it feels like the remainder of the regular season is going to be a lot of this. We're going to get a ton of ugliness from the NFC East teams that remain, right? Washington's at six and seven, Minnesota's at six and seven. The Eagles are at six and seven. And then it's Atlanta, six and seven, New Orleans, six and seven, all of those teams somehow still have a chance at the playoffs. San Francisco is only a game up on them at seven and six. And we know how tough the gauntlet down the road is for them. It just feels like an absolute convoluted mess. In the NFL right now. And that's not to say that there won't be enjoyable moments or that's not going to be fun to watch and see how it plays out. But I'm starting to get to the point where I'm much more excited about the playoffs and seeing Arizona and Green Bay play again, or Green Bay and Tampa Bay play, you know, And, and even a team like Dallas who has all the firepower in the world, and see if they can maybe try to make a run in the playoffs because that's going to be more entertaining than watching some of these terrible teams play garbage football every single week. And I try not to be some snob, but it's annoying. It sucks to watch football when it's like literally all of the games are blowouts at one point yesterday, every single game was a blowout at some point. And credit to the four teams that made it close, you know, after getting down big early, but I'm just excited to get to the point where we're watching high quality football to go back to the word that you use there Vito. Um, I do want to get into a little bit, some of the other stuff, before we break down the games. Uh, Heisman was announced on Saturday night. Not to anyone's probably major surprise, but Bryce Young wins it, becomes the first Alabama quarterback ever to win the Heisman, which is pretty amazing when you think about the history of that award, the history of that program yeah. with Bear Bryant, everybody else. Um, I believe they're the, they're the fourth school to ever have back-to-back Heisman winners. They had Devontae Smith last year. Um Vito, I'm very curious to get your thoughts on this, because Scotty and I talked at length about it on Tuesday on Friday's pod. I think it was. Um, But the the players that were represented as Heisman finalists, I think after Alabama beat Georgia, it felt pretty certain that Bryce Young was going to win the Heisman, even though my estimation, Bryce Young is not even the best player At Alabama, so it's kind of hard for me to say he's the best player in the country when Will Anderson just put off one of the greatest single seasons that any defensive player has ever had in the history of college football, and statistically, it's really hard to argue against it. Um, Aiden Hutchinson's been awesome this year, and you were early on him, Vito. I was not. I didn't really think to that point in the year when we were talking about it that he was going to be much like a first-round guy, and now people think he might be the first overall pick, which I still think is crazy, um, yeah, man, I love him and, and I love the kid a lot and, and the story's awesome. And his dad had the single season sack rush record at Michigan that he broke it, uh, w- which was really, really cool to see and kind of everything. But, uh, from your perspective, since you've been away and, and through all the college football playoff stuff, give us kind of where we're at a little state of college football right now, obviously our four teams are set, but now that the Heisman's given out, the awards are given out and all we have in front of us are bowl season, of the college football playoff Where's your mind at that, and did you have any issues with maybe Bryce Young being the Heisman winner at the end of the day?
0: I I think the state of college football, I'm going to go in chronological order what you said here because I think there's a couple great points to make, is first of all, the state of football, this is what it's showing that, first of all, we had a defensive Heisman finalist, which is a, a great start. Like that doesn't happen a lot of years when there are elite players, and I think the best defensive player should always be represented, so I think that's good. Um, is it because he's a player who gets production sacks, right? Like he he gets some one-on-ones because they have just a terrific defensive line and he plays for a big program that was in it. Yeah. Like that's something you need to have happen. Um, I think for a defensive finalist, like we're never going to see the likes of random NFL fun fact, I'm going throw in here, but like there was a year Dick Buckkiss won defensive player of the year and his team won one game. Like we will never see that in college, right? No matter how great the player is. I think Bryce young and in the inverse of that being a quarterback who played his uh, an amazing game against, you know, in his biggest game against what everyone thought was the best defense we had potentially ever seen the week before the award. Like that is a Heisman moment to the nth degree. And I agree with you that first of all, he may not even be the best player on his team, but that I feel like every time the Heisman's given to an Alabama player in the last couple of years, we've, you can make that argument. <laughs> it's crazy talent on that team. Um, but I do believe that having a game like that in a situation like that does give you credit in today's age, in today's college football to get the award. It is a very, um, it's recency bias a little bit, right? Like you're not going to, when you pull a pilot tape and it's them doing something in a first game of the season, that's incredible. Like, oh, that's a great play. And then you watch them do it in, uh, you know, a championship game of a conference, like that's, that gets you going. But what I think would be even better, and I don't know when we want to do this because bowl games are always extra, right? You had your season, you had bowl games. I really think this award should now be pushed back till after the championship. Mm. And I know that gives a disadvantage to disadvantage, quote unquote, to like the teams or the players that don't get to play twice or maybe that have to play twice, whatever. But maybe at least in the first round, because after the first round of college football playoffs, everyone else has also played a bowl game. Mm hmm. So I think that would be really fun to do because I do agree that like right now he was, he won the award and I don't have a problem with it, but I don't know if he would win the award. He probably still would, but like if this happened before this week or even after another week of a bowl game, right. It's, that's what I wonder about college football. Are we at the point where it's just too recent? Uh, But like we, we favor recency, but I, I don't know. That's just my thoughts on it. And I think it's an interesting point of like what the college football playoff would allow us to do almost in pushing the award back.
1: It It's an interesting thought. And I would say a couple of things, right? Cause if, if playoff expansion ends up happening, then that kind of even muddies the water a little more, or actually might lend a little more credence to your argument, which is that you're not, it's no longer just the four best teams. You would have maybe 12 teams that are in the playoff. And yeah. so that would include teams like Pitt. Right, and Kenny Pickett would have an opportunity to be in the first round of the college football playoff, and you put out right like uh, the NBA MVP for a long time was given out in the middle of the postseason. I think it. I think it might actually still, but the votes are Dude, due to yeah. But the votes are in before because it's a it's a regular season award, and so that's kind of I guess the line of delineation, right? Do you want to make it a regular season plus postseason, or at least that early thing? And I think the waters get a little muddied there. The other aspect of this that I think um, would be tough is it would incentivize players to play in their bowl game, right? Which, depending on where you fall in that argument, you're either for that or against it. Now, again, as somebody who grew into college football fandom, not necessarily uh, you know, growing up, but more in recent years, Bowl games with the college football playoff don't mean as much. And I also have never once had a problem with a player skipping a bowl game. Right. Christian McCaffrey was the first one to really do it. And I don't have a problem with guys doing that. We saw what happened to Jalen Smith. Right. Jalen Smith was a lock top top 10 pick out of Notre Dame at linebacker. Ends up falling all the way to mid second rounds because he tore his ACL in a bowl game that was more or less meaningless, and it cost him significant amount of money. Now, he got that second contract in the NFL, but we also saw him get cut this year from Dallas, and currently he's a free agent because he lasted about two weeks in Green Bay before moving on. So if that's the last we see of Jalen Smith, then I, again, don't have any problem with players skipping bowl games, but having the Heisman be in it, now like Kenny Pickett is playing in the bowl game, and credit to Kenny Pickett. He's kind of cut from that cloth, and good for him. But if Michigan wasn't in the college football playoff or like C.J. Stroud, like if C.J. Stroud was draft eligible, I would not say for C.J. Stroud, hey, yeah, dude, go play in this bowl game to try to go win the Heisman, leave. And then that's going to even add another layer of like, all right, well, then this player might have had the best season, but he didn't play in his team's bowl game, even though they weren't in the college football playoff. So how do we measure that? And and so I think you have to keep it at the end as it is currently constructed. But I do think there there might be something you can do slightly different or even giving it a, another week, right, before you announce it. Give it two weeks because there's such a long gap between the end of the regular season and when the college football playoff and the bowl games start.
0: No, that's a great point. And I also I, – I think maybe just pushing it back and maybe that's what I'm like almost want something of. I, I want to see like – and this, this relates very well to the NFL, too. I would love to see more postseason awards. Hmm. Like, I don't know, maybe you have Super Bowl MVP, which is great, and then the Super Bowl champions, but you don't have, like, an entire season thing. You're yeah. right. It's very regular season-based, which makes sense. But Because they have so – There are
1: so many regular season awards in college football. Like, Friday yeah. night, they had the award show, and, you know, they have, like, so many that you don't even realize. Like, there's the – I think it was the Joe Moore Award that goes to uh, just – the best offensive line in college football, like collectively the offensive line wins it together, which I think is awesome. That's I, really cool. Like I love, I love that award. Um But I, yeah, there should be, I, and there might be, I don't think there is, but there might be like a a. Gay, college football playoff like mvp like mo- like they have the final yeah. four mvp right like I you mean- have the, the guy who wins that award in, in college basketball who was the most outstanding for the final four um i think that would be something that could be good with the playoff and would definitely probably i would think would be a thing if we end up uh expanding um scotty any additional thoughts bryce young wins the M- wins the heisman Right decision, wrong decision. I think we're both on the same page. It probably was. I'm just yeah. still mad about CJ Stroud being there and
2: Yeah, no. I, I agree with you. And and to to that end, it, it, the fact that it had become a quarterback award. We do this a lot in the in the NFL too. I mean, when you ask me each week, and I'm sure it'll ask me today, because this is usually when you do it, who's your your NFL MVP pick? I tend to lean non quarterback. Unless there's something super explosive coming out of a quarterback, because the NFL MVP, like the Heisman, has become a quarterback award, and it's a shame that that we have to do that. Given that there are 22 spots on an NFL or on any football field, Um, and so to to for whatever reason it is, whether it's the because they have the ball in their hands more, they're supposed. To be the uh, the most uh, you know gifted athletically and and uh, and cerebrally on the field, uh, whatever your argument for that is, I, I don't I don't care for it, um, because it, there's there's more than just a quarterback out there, and there's several several talented uh, people. And like I said on the, on Friday's pod, the more and more athletic these kids get, I mean, look at some of these guys on defense this year. You could have taken anybody off of that Georgia defensive line. And put them in the Heisman conversation. Any one of them, and 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 like you said, Will Inch, the, the linebacker at Alabama, like it's to me, it doesn't make sense that we're we need to favor quarterbacks just because they're the uh, they're the uh, the head honchos of of the offense there. So uh, I do think it was deserving. Having said all that this year for Bryce Young to get it, because uh, like I said, I think he won that award in the uh, in the fourth quarter in overtime of the Auburn game. Uh, long before he even demolished the uh the stout georgia defense in the conference championship game. So uh good for him uh first alabama quarterback to win it and uh yeah. I don't know. Yeah. We got we got to figure something out moving forward. <laughs> so. I think
1: if you combine that final drive in fourth quarter plus overtime plus the georgia game, so right add it all up it's roughly five quarters. Those five quarters of football is what won Bryce Young the
2: Heisman. Yeah. Team, who,
1: 100%. Objectively, you look at his numbers they're off the charts and you remember this kid's a red shirt freshman too right you know and, and it has been absolutely spectacular for them and unquestionably whenever he comes out which will likely be after next year he should be the number one pick like we like the conversation on him needs to be well, similar to the way we talked about trevor lawrence because-
2: yeah i i think so cerebrally um and and the decision making that he makes, but, but it's now it's, the the bar is set right. So he's won the Heisman. You're the greatest, supposedly the greatest uh, uh, college football player in the country. So now the bar you got to jump that uh, a little bit and take the next step talent wise on the football field to to really make your case. I don't there know if that's the NFL. I,
1: I mean, it's really hard to win the Heisman two years in a row, right? Because it's it, at the, the the shittiest part about the Heisman is that it's narrative driven. It's, it's yeah. not always – it's like Aiden Hutchinson's a perfect example. Again, love Aiden Hutchinson. He's awesome. Every single one of his stats is worse than Will Anderson's. And his team is ranked below Will Anderson's. There's no statistical argument to saying that Aiden Hutchinson should be there ahead of Will Anderson. But there's a narrative argument, which is that where is Michigan without Aiden Hutchinson? Aiden Hutchinson is the heart and soul of that Michigan team who finally beat Ohio State and who was in the college football playoff and won the Big Ten championship, right? But every single statistic tells you if you do blind resume, 100% of people would say who had the better season? Well, the guy with the better numbers wins, right? Mm-hmm. But the narrative and and everything about it and that magical Saturday on on college football rivalry weekend when aiden hutchinson in the snow helped knock off ohio state for the first time in eight years that is what got aiden hutchinson to the heisman the thing that pisses me off and this is more to what you were talking about scotty is the cj stroud of it all the fact that cj stroud who statistically put up had had a good season got a great season cj stroud had no business being there Zero Zilch nada compared to Kenny Pickett, who obviously was there and was more deserving. Uh Kenneth Walker, we talked about being there. Will Anderson obviously I've I've pontificated about plenty. Um it, it's a weird spot, but we've I think the last two years prove that with Devontae Smith winning and now you know Bryce Bryce Young winning, the Heisman is pretty unpredictable. And you're not really going to know what it is until you start to get into the season. And sometimes it can go to the what seems like the cherry picked answer or the very clear cut Joe Burrow. Sometimes it can go to years like this where it's kind of a default where you say, okay, we're going to give it to, you know, Bryce Young, because it seems like that's kind of the default quarterback who's going to win. And then you have years like last year with Devontae Smith where it's like he put up one of the greatest wide receiver stats. All of a sudden people talk about when was when was the last wide receiver when the Heisman, and you kind of go down that rabbit hole, and then you land on Devontae Smith at the end of it. Uh, so I, I don't think Bryce Young has to do anything more than what he's done this year. The narratives just need to kind of work in. And, yeah, he probably does need to be a little bit better, but I don't know. I think he'll be in New York next year regardless. And the reason I say I think he'll be the clear-cut number one is not because he won the Heisman this year. It's because – he does things at such an advanced level on a football field already as a 19 year old that it, it's truly eye opening. Uh, he makes throws and decisions from angles. He, he's a weird. I was talking to EJ Manuel about this. He's kind of a hybrid between Russell Wilson and and Pat, Patrick Mahomes. You know, he's he's got a little bit of that arm angle stuff. He's a little undersized. He can move, but what the way he processes the game at this age what he's done. It is impressive. It's just, I'll never, and I'll go back to what Andy Staple said before. I, you can't be the Heisman when you're not the best player in your own County. You're not the best player in Tuscaloosa County. How can you be the best player in the country? And that's Will Anderson. So, all right. Uh, off my soapbox. The last college football thing before we get into the NFL stuff and Vito, I'll, I'll give you the floor here. Cause Scotty and I talked about this plenty and then we'll get to the NFL games. The coaching carousel finally has calm down It seems like it's it's taken ages for us to get to this point uh and, and it ends with the oregon ducks uh naming their head coach it is a georgia defensive coordinator um i'm blanking on his name dan lanning dan lanning thank you um 35 years old young guy um seems like an interesting move Especially in the last decade, it's like offensive head coaches and now four defensive head coaches have been hired at at prime programs um, between Marcus Freeman and Brent Venables and now Dan Lanning. Um, Any any takeaways from the coaching carousel as a whole between Lincoln Riley going to USC and and the shuffling. It's not even worth going through all the names at this point. I think anyone listening knows what we're talking about.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's just a lot of movement. I, I think what I'm my biggest takeaway and what I'm so uh, excited about is some of the redistribution at the major programs, right? I think Lincoln Riley is the biggest name, kind of moving. But I am actually interested in that Oregon one because, right, they're building towards a conference championship. They they lose in the finals, or they lose against Utah. I'm sorry, and then and, and right, and just like it just. The entire expectation and the hopes and dreams of that fan base, like it, it just it was going somewhere, it was trending, and it fell. They've lost a five-star recruit. They've lost a couple four stars, like they've lost some good recruits too, which happens when this when you move coaches, but that, that's a big deal. Cause Oregon actually, what a lot of people don't know, when they were winning with Chip Kelly, they didn't have a bunch of five-star guys. They were doing it with three and f- three, three-star, four-star local Pacific Northwest guys that they coached up. So what I'm really interested to see is do the Oregon ducks, you know, continue to at least trend towards or, or be in the conversation of that Pac-12 championship for a while. Does that fade? Does it grow? Like where's the new trajectory? And that's what I think this does for a lot of teams. You're going somewhere and your players are most of it, right. You're one and lost in the field, but because coaching and college football is so much recruiting based, it's not like the NFL, a coach in the NFL, you can win your first year pretty easily. It's tough to do that in college football. And um, I think that's where let's see two or three years where these guys all take their programs,
1: but it, it's wild. And, um, the, at some point, you know, I, I'd love to kind of go through and try to grade some of the stuff and see where we go, but the, the more pressing college football thing, and I'll, I'll leave y'all with this before we take our break, uh, national signing day is Wednesday of this week and, or the early national signing day, uh, which, Many people in college football believe is the biggest problem with what we saw with the coaching carousel and what we've seen with a lot of this stuff um, and, and transfer portal as well, because it's forcing coaches to leave before bowl games. It's forcing coaches to immediately mm-hmm. start recruiting. It, it's turned what was a nine to probably closer to 11 month a year job uh, into a 12 month, 24 hour a day. 365 kind of a job. Um, RJ Young works for Fox Sports. Uh, the transfer portal has blown up in the last couple of days, and it's no coincidence that it's happening right before signing day. Uh, just a few names to throw out you guys as guys who are currently in the transfer portal. Quinn Ewers, who is the number one recruit, reclassified, came to Ohio State. He's now going to Texas. Uh, so he is out of the transfer portal, but Whoa. names, names that are currently in the transfer portal, Texas AM quarterback Zach Calzada. USC quarterback, Keaton Slovis, Auburn quarterback, Bo Nix, Oklahoma quarterback, Spencer Rattler, LSU quarterback, Max Johnson, Indiana quarterback, Michael Penix Jr., Ohio State quarterback, Jack Miller, Nebraska quarterback, Adrian Martinez, UCF quarterback, Dylan Gabriel, and Purdue quarterback, Jack Plummer. All of those guys are in the transfer portal. And I'll tell you right now, there are not enough power five openings for all of them. So people wanted the transfer portal. I am with it. But these are going to be some of the growing pains that come with all of this adjustment and all of the growth that college football has made and the changes in the last year or so. But we'll get into that stuff uh, over the next month, I'm sure, as some of these people start to find uh, new homes. Uh, So with that, we're going to take a quick break, come back. We're going to run through the NFL games from Sunday. Uh, I'm going to ask some big questions from each of the games, what they mean in terms of standing with the boys on the read option. And we'll be right back after this. Week 14 is in the books, albeit slightly disappointing. But nonetheless, it still is in the books. Before we go through the games, Vito, you have not picked a game for us uh, in a long time. And we are literally seconds away from Monday Night Kick Football being kicked off. When we made these picks, we didn't know that half of the freaking Rams were going to be out because of COVID, which Daryl Henderson's out, Jalen Ramsey's out. Like literally half of the team is now out for covid Cooper Cup will still be there. Matt Stafford will still be there. Aaron Donald will still be there. But that's pretty much it for the Rams here uh, in, in Week 14. Arizona is still, for whatever reason, I guess ESPN hasn't updated for this. Arizona is a three-point favorite. Would you like to make a pick on the game so that way we can get you back in for this week's uh, on some level?
0: Yeah. Okay. So that's actually, man. You know what? I, I'm actually. I, I kind of the Cardinals won this first matchup, right? Destroyed them.
1: Yeah.
0: I'm taking the Rams.
1: Even with like all of their teams at all of their players at
0: all I heard is that they have their quarterback and they have their best defensive player in Donald. That's all they need. All right. Super Cup.
1: I, I also took the Rams and if I could change my pick, I would, but you know I, what? I'm, fi- I'm, I'm a man I, of integrity. We make our, picks like on Thursday night when we're recording and I will. Yeah, stand That's by why
0: it. I'm, I'm going to take a little chance. I figured, you know what? Why not? Uh, why not try. So
1: no Manning cast for this game, which if everyone was healthy, I'd be like, what, what are we doing here? Uh, yeah, but we get the Manning cast back January something. I don't know. I think it's the first game in January. Uh, we'll start quickly on Thursday night. Minnesota Steelers. I don't know what the hell's wrong with Minnesota. They're up twenty nine nothing. And all of a sudden the Steelers are back in that game and are driving down the field. And if Chase Claypool's not celebrating a first down the Steelers might have actually found a way to win that, or at least yeah. been there in that and game it, and, and had a chance to win. Tough
2: um, job by Friar at the end, too. Yeah,
1: and Friar was a great hat. play defensively. He's going to be great. He's he's going to be oh, awesome. Yeah. Um, Penn State. So my question, again, and what we're doing now, we're at the point where we kind of know who's good, and we know that – there's a middle tier of just a bunch of ugly teams and some teams are going to get in there. So it's not not every game is going to be like, oh, here's our analyst. It's more about like questions about these teams. And both of these teams, the Steelers and Vikings are, are in interesting spots. Now we know Pittsburgh definitely is going to be moving on from Big Ben at the end of this year. Uh, you know, all the, the leaked reports like we didn't already know that this was going to be Big Ben's last season. Uh, the Steelers will be looking for quarterback, and they're going to be looking to rebuild. The Vikings, to me, are a team that definitely should. And ironically, Vito, I went back and listened to the Off the Rails pod that we did back in like Week Three when you were traveling all day and I was traveling all day, and we came on and we were kind of delirious and we were, we were yeah. talking about stuff. Uh, <laughs> what a fun! And, and you asked me in that podcast, you asked me, is who would be more likely to get moved on to? from first kirk cousins or mike zimmer and to be honest my question or at least my feeling on it now is both but i'm curious for both of you we know the steelers are rebuilding what do you think they go because i feel like we kind of know maybe kenny pickett right hometown kid they'll probably be in a position where they can draft him not a super loaded quarterback class uh but is Minnesota going to be in the same spot by season's end as where the Steelers are at, where it's like, Hey, we're kind of going to overhaul this team because there's a lot of talent on the roster, but Kirk cousins definitely isn't getting the job done. And Mike Zimmer, it feels like it's, it's starting to get stale. And it feels like this is time that the Vikings move on.
0: It's a shame. I do feel like it's, it's, it's probably Zimmer at this point for me. Um, I think they'll keep Kirk cousins for the exact same reason that we talked about off air, like the Penn State quarterback situation, where you want to have the guy in there so that you draft the rookie, he can come and learn from somebody. And Kirk Cousins, I mean, he'll probably want to go start somewhere. But talk about a backup you could trust in if he ever does. You know, if Pickett gets a start, to have him at least as your guy would be great for a year or two. They're probably going to have to trade him or do something like that. Um, but he should just be what- all time quarterback. Like, like every week he goes and plays for another team. Like whatever
1: team needs a quarterback that oh week, Kirk Cousins goes and just plays for them. I like
0: that. A Monday night Kirk Cousins game, he plays quarterback for both teams. He's gonna throw two touchdowns through picks. It's gonna be great. Yeah. And like may the best team win. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. Scotty, what about you? Do you do you see the Vikings heading into that direction where we're overhauling? We're moving on to our next our next era here.
2: I think you have to, right? I mean, for as good as Kirk Cousins' stats are for the the season, really, I mean, he's, he's got what uh, he had um, two interceptions in the, in the game on, uh, on Thursday night, which was two-thirds of his total interceptions uh, for, for the entire rest of the year prior. Um, so his touchdown-to-interception ratio was great. But again, what you see on the field isn't what you see in the stat line, right? The decision-making is not phenomenal. Uh, I remember texting you guys a couple weeks ago, uh, when we were watching Minnesota on, on red zone, I just put the entire text was Kirk cousins, not a great quarterback. Uh, and, and I still firmly like believe in that. And look, if you're in Minnesota, you got to recognize that you have a defensive minded head coach who has done uh, fairly little with the, uh, with the talent that he has to build that defense into what should be a, a, a superpower in the NFL you have a young running back, although being banged up in Dalvin Cook, uh, who's still one of the the premier top two, three, four backs in the uh, in the NFL. You have two amazing young wide receivers, although uh, Adam Thielen is probably at the cusp of at the at the pinnacle rather of his prime, uh, and Justin Jefferson is still, I mean, just lighting it up. And he's what twenty six years old, something like that, if that. Um, so. I, I think you have to recognize that you you have enough young talent to build around that you can look at a guy like Kirk cousins and that terrible contract and be like, so here's the thing. We can be better without this in our lives. Uh, we save a lot of money. It's a win-win for the team. Um, thanks for your service and the, uh, and the eight and eight that you've provided in your stead. Uh, so I, I think you're, you're absolutely right. You got to go uh, look for solutions, whether it's one of these, Guys, you can get in free agency or via trade. Uh, who's a, a more capable veteran like Russell Wilson uh, or rival uh, Aaron Rodgers? But um, or look Wouldn't for look for the awesome? draft and, and keep well. Yeah. If Rodgers <laughs> so does the, the calls Brett the Brett Favre story, calls the Brett
1: Favre and goes to Minnesota. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, I want to do a little blind resume test with you guys here. All right, so in the last four years. I'm gonna list you the the win loss record of two different teams. Okay, thirteen and three, eight seven and one, ten and six, seven and nine. All right, that is in total thirty eight wins. All right, and now the other team, five and eleven, twelve and four, eight and eight, and eight and eight, which is a total of thirty three wins. So just five wins difference over four years between these two teams. One team fan base is chomping at the bits to get rid of their head coach. The other team is the Minnesota Vikings. Minnesota Vikings are the 38 wins and the Chicago bears are the 33. Mm. All right. The difference between those two teams, same division, play the same, you know, division records each year. And one is dying to get rid of Matt Nagy. And the other team is still kind of holding on for Mike Zimmer. I think we're at a point here where, both of those head coaches probably need to go, right? Like, it's crazy that Matt Nagy in four years has 33 wins. And Mike Zimmer has 38. It's including this
0: first year. That yeah, NFC, I, you know. He, but, Matt I had a hot start. I think he's just uh, gone downhill and made just some questionable decisions. Where Mike Zimmer is, like, I feel like uh, in the opposite way. He's so conservative and defensive and old school. And, like, plays just a, a really, um, I want to say, typical style of football which is kind of unique like I guess old school the fullback and like here's what we're gonna do um but it has a lot of talent so it, it's just weird I feel like if I wonder if you switch those two coaches on those two same rosters what would happen um because I feel like Matt Nagy is almost a better fit for the Vikings <laughs> and like Zimmer's a Matt Zimmer's not a Chicago. fit for anybody and That's you know what's true. funny
1: I actually helped Mike Zimmer out there because the first year the five and eleven year for the Bears was John Fox still so if you just go over the last three years, it's 28 wins for Matt Nagy and, and 27 wins for Mike Zimmer. So again, one team is chomping at the bits to get rid of their head coach. And I get it. Mike Zimmer is stability, defense, all that stuff. I just think it's probably time to take a look in the mirror and say, you know what, Mike Zimmer, he's done some good things here. He got us to an FC championship game, but he's just not going to be the guy. Uh, Sunday games. We'll start off at the AFC North Duel. Baker Mayfield and the Browns somehow finding their way still in playoff contention here now at seven and six and Lamar Jackson goes down the Ravens lose despite the comeback. By the way, Tyler Huntley, uh, that kid's awesome. I mean, he had that one scramble that then they picked up the extra 15 yards for the late penalty uh, where he was make, he made like six different change of directions and picked up like 17 yards on a Third and 18. It was an unbelievable scramble, unbelievable play from the backup. Uh and, and clearly, you know, I I think we're all fans of Trace McSorley. You'd rather have Tyler Huntley as your backup in in Baltimore than than Trace McSorley because he's the most similar to Lamar Jackson that you can kind of have, where it's still a guy, change of direction, can run and kind of be mobile. Uh he's like Lamar Jackson light, you know, he's just not quite as as good of a passer. The AFC North feels as up for grabs. Uh, as any. And so my question to you guys, you know, between the 6-6 six, six and 1 Steelers, the 7 and 6 uh 7-6 Bengals, 7-6 Browns and 8 and 5 Ravens, between these two, the Ravens and the Browns, will either of these two be the teams that end up winning the AFC North?
2: Yeah, I think so. Uh I I legitimately think without Lamar Jackson, that team is not very good and I give my tip to the to the, either the Browns or the Bengals, but uh, in this scenario, I would go with the Browns uh, without Lamar Jackson. Now, if M- Lamar Jackson is there, uh, then I, I would I would go Ravens. Um, well, these were the two. So for.
1: these were the two favorites to win the AFC North, like number one, number two favorites to win to win the division. Uh, my question is, will either of those two teams end up being the one? So you say the Browns are more yeah. likely than uh, the Ravens, but do you think the Browns are more likely than the Bengals?
2: I do not no.
0: So not for no, this I, game. I think no. I think the Browns are the most likely. Interesting. Uh, Cleveland. <laughs> Maybe I'm a homer. But no, I, I do think just again their style of play. So I I'm going with the Browns actually to, to win that division. I don't I don't
1: th- I think it's the Bengals. I think the Bengals are the best team in the AFC North. And we'll get we'll talk a little bit about them when we get to the San Francisco game. Um and, and I do want to get into a little bit here between this game because I I've been pro Baker and it really pisses like I just a quick PSA to Browns fans chill the fuck out please chill the fuck out on all this Baker hate they you like seriously you would think that they've had Baker like it's honestly it's eerily reminiscent to when the Eagles fans were sick of Donovan McNabb right Donovan had led the Eagles to that point to four NFC championship games, actually five NFC championship games one Super Bowl was a multi-time pro bowler, had this unbelievable career, and by the end of it, Eagles fans were just like, we've had enough, all right? Baker completely changed this team from beginning to end, from where they were when he was drafted to where they are now. It's insane. The dude is playing as banged up as anybody, and in the NFL, you have to play banged up. You you just have to, right? If you're the starting quarterback and you're hurt, you're still better than Case Keenum. And Baker, you know, he took a nasty hit from behind at one point in the game, and they sat him out for the rest of the series just to make sure he wasn't hurt. And he was livid on the sidelines because the guy is an ultra competitor. And it's so annoying to me. And I get it. Browns fans, you got your first taste of the postseason. You actually got a playoff win. You beat the Steelers, all that great stuff. Just relax, all right? You don't have to sign him to the extension this year. A lot of guys from that class, like Lamar, will probably sign an extension this year you still get another year before you hit that point where you absolutely have to and i think everybody just needs to take a just take a deep breath cleveland all right you drafted a first overall you get the fifth year of control so you'll get that next year but just hit the pause button for a second all right he's done so much for this franchise already when he's been healthy he's been good The offensive line, which when healthy is probably the best in football, hasn't been healthy since like week two. He's Kareem Hunt played a quarter before he got knocked out of this game. Nick Chubb can't do everything. Jarvis Landry is at a point in his career where he's just not the same guy. They need to invest in weapons for him. And I get it. Even when everything's been right, he still hasn't been amazing. But this is goes back to the whole, you know, the Ted Lasso thing, right? Like it's the hope that kills you. Well, Browns fans got hope for the first time. Just like AFC Richmond got hope for the first time. And then when you're let down, you get that much more hurt because you finally let up the guard and you finally let yourself feel like maybe we have a chance this year. He's like watching young. Penn
2: state football. <laughs> exactly.
1: He's young. Give the kid fun. a yeah. chance. Give I him a agree chance. with you hundred yeah.
2: percent. Yep.
1: But Browns fans are Absolutely. like, are like ready to quit. Like, it's crazy to me how much they hate him. You would think,
0: i don't know he- man i guess like uh, yeah may, may, uh, i mean you're my standpoint your feet on
1: the ground there have you yeah, heard similar say, sentiments
0: i don't think so i think a lot of people i talk to it's like it's like they're frustrated with maybe how baker is playing because they expect more of out of him but like I'm, I'm i don't think many people i personally talk to are as uh furious and as just rambunctious about the fact that like they want him gone I, i've heard some of it like you're saying like for the calls into their radio shows that they like yeah. replayed and it's just it seems like there's some people that are are wild and i'll tell you one quick story about my friend george who's their biggest browns fan i know has season tickets i went with him to a few games this year and uh fan of the pod shout out george and he um ended up uh se- sending an email to the person who manages the season tickets for the browns like said i'm not getting my tickets all this stuff. Like I'm not renewing. And then the guy emails him like why? And he sends this whole like multiple paragraph thing. And it's just very like passionate about like, we're not a playoff team, all this stuff. And at the very line uh, at the very end, he has a line that just says at the end of the day, we still haven't done anything yet. Like that was kind of like his sentiment. Like we're still not there yet. And he was just like frustrated with some things. And it was so funny. Two days later, he emails him like, I'm just kidding. I definitely want those tickets. I just was sad after a loss, right? Like it's all good. We all got through that. But even him who, who goes through all these ups and downs and, and he knows like, no, Baker's your guy. Like, I feel like most real fans are into that and they're cool with it, but yeah. you're right. It seems like the it's, it's uh, some, there are some deranged ones out there.
1: And and I don't think it's, I don't think it's a coincidence that the two franchises that haven't won. in as long as anyone in Buffalo and in Cleveland are both frustrated right now, because one of the things about the NFL is you have to learn how to win and not just win one playoff game and not just make it to the AFC championship game like Buffalo did, but have sustained winning, right? Like going to the playoffs three years in a row. Like that's not just a given just because you have a franchise quarterback. It takes a lot. And both mm. of those franchises are still learning how to win. So, I don't know. That's my little Browns thing. And I follow a bunch of Browns fans randomly on, on Twitter and, and, and people who are like, you know, cover the team locally and, and have podcasts and do stuff. And they there's a couple who are like still Baker stands. But I'm just – I'm blown away at the amount of people who are like, get Baker off this team. You know, we need to go back again. It's like, dude, you win one playoff game with a guy, and now a year later he's playing. He tore his rotator cuff twice this year, once minorly, and then a second time on the same shoulder. Just relax. And he's playing through it. And you just beat the Ravens. And you've yeah. beaten the Bengals. And you've beaten good teams this year. So just chill the fuck out. Uh, Jacksonville in Tennessee. Tennessee won the game. Congrats. That's not the storyline. That's not the question. That's not what matters out of this game. Uh, For both of you guys, you're professionals, right? Uh, You work in office settings. You have bosses. If you were in a meeting with your peers and then your your collective boss came in and and basically made a speech about, I've built this company. I've built this. I've had all this success for years. Why are you good enough to be here right now? Meanwhile, he's been terrible, terrible boss for you for the last six months. And he says, I've done all these great things. You guys are the problem. You guys haven't won on my level. You haven't been as successful than me. What would your reaction to that guy be? How would you respond in that kind of a scenario? Because that's exactly what Urban Meyer did to his assistant coaches, to their faces. And I would imagine, I know how I would respond, and I would imagine you guys would probably respond similarly.
2: Yeah, there's a, a two-word sentence and uh, uh, get up and walk out of the room. Uh, and not come back. Cause that's you, you sit there and preach accountability for your team, uh, you know, the whole year. And that's, that's part of, you know, being a head coach in the NFL, you have to find a way and it's middle management. Let's be honest to make your, make your players uh, and, and coaching staff who are, are at or near the same level as you feel accountable for how they run the team and how they, uh, their contributions help the success overall of the team, and then to look them in the eye and tell them that if I looked at my employees and said you're mediocre and crap, everything I've done uh, to to is to help you get here, and you haven't you haven't done anything, uh, it's it's ridiculous, it's ungrateful, and and it's shameful for for a, a manager to do that. And frankly, uh, you want to see your employees be better uh you want them to be better. You don't want them to uh to be berated and felt like uh you know their their whole uh their whole method of success depends on on uh what you think of that get out of here please with that that's enough from urban meyer i'm tired of it
0: yeah man i, I gotta say if something like this happened to me um i would definitely uh <laughs> I I'd say some words. I probably wouldn't even want to say on here. And I'd probably wouldn't walk out of the room. I'd probably walk up to the person, you know what I mean? And get in their face. I also, uh, especially like, you know, these coaches are working around the clock. Like these guys in the season, I mean, they've, they're been away from their families for how long. So it's to be the holidays. Everyone's tired and grumpy. And yes, they haven't had success, but you know, they're the ones putting together the game plans, cutting up the reels, doing all this other stuff behind the scenes, just to get ready to game plan and work on breakdown like they do so much work that urban meyer doesn't have to deal with and i just it, it's very disrespectful i would have a major problem with it if it was said to me and um i i would be very interested to see if if urban meyer does stay the coach in jacksonville how many of these assistants actually want to come back
1: it's not going to be a lot it's not going to be a lot and I, it's hilarious to some degree, but then you also remember like, yeah, this guy might be torching one of the best quarterback prospects we've had in, in yeah. the last decade, the last 20 years. Right. And, and, and has been nothing but an arrogant tool, which I think we yeah. all kind of known about urban Meyer behind the scenes and Vito, I know you're not on, on Twitter, Scotty, you are, and I'm, I'm not sure if you saw this or not. um, But it's one of the funniest things. And, and it's just the hypocrisy in all of this makes it very delightful. Um, when he took his, you know, gap year, two years, whatever it was, between Ohio State and then taking Jacksonville, he was an analyst for Fox Sports and college football. Well, someone took a screen grab from one point last year uh, where it's Urban Meyer's criteria to examine for struggling teams. Okay, number one, trust issues. Number two, dysfunctional environments. And number three, <laughs> selfishness.
2: <laughs> the irony. Oh, it, that's, it's, that's great. It's
1: incredible. It is chef's kiss. It's beautiful. That's so. And this is why Twitter is, you know, for all the dog shit and the terrible things you see on Twitter, this is what makes Twitter so incredible is stuff like this. And yeah, if you're the Jackson or Jaguars, you have to move on. You, you have to. If the finger in the ass video wasn't enough that we saw from the hot, you know, after they played and almost beat the Bengals, but blew a 14-0 lead, if that wasn't enough to fire him, then this, the altercation with Marvin Jones Jr., who's one of the few like highly respected vets in that locker room, yeah. um, if that doesn't do enough and say enough, you know, I always joke about this too. When Trevor Lawrence got his first win, and it was the same, same day that, you know, Urban Meyer got his first win. They gave the game ball to Trevor Lawrence right in front of Urban Meyer and said, for your first win, we're giving you the game ball. As, again, like, a hey, fuck you. Because not to say that, I mean, first-year quarterback, first-year head coach, who gets it, I don't know. But it was, it was a pretty clear message. And I saw somebody lay this out there, and assuming that Jacksonville does move on, there's one name that I've heard somebody drop out there who would be a phenomenal fit, and that's Doug Peterson. Doug Peterson's looking mm. for an opportunity. He's got roots down south. I think he, he seems be, very
2: Jacksonville. <laughs>
1: I think he would be a phenomenal, phenomenal choice. He's a guy who knows how to bring structure, integrity, all of that stuff that you want to an organization. And if you're the Jaguars and you hold on to Urban Meyer any more than the end of this season, you're going to screw up the, the first opportunity you had and the best opportunity you had to take Jacksonville from a mediocre laughing stock of a franchise. To a legitimate contender. And and you basically piss away the first first overall pick you ever had and also hitting the lottery with it being the year that Trevor Lawrence came out. So, all right. that's I think that's enough Jaguars talk. I just I, – I couldn't believe that story. I couldn't believe it, but I also could painfully believe it. Yeah. Uh,
2: well, selfish.
1: AFC West matchup. The Raiders got shit pumped by the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, And and the chiefs look really good right now. The defense has held their opponents to less than 10 points in four straight games. Uh, Nobody saw this turnaround from where they were at the start of the season to what they've become now, uh, which is probably a little bit on the media's fault, right? Who kind of start a lot of these conversations because that is like the calling card of a Steve Spagnola defense is that they kind of suck in the beginning of the year. And then as the year goes on, they get better and better and better. And that's exactly what we've seen to an obviously exaggerated degree here with the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, but my question to you guys is: is we still haven't seen Mahomes look that great, right? Like the one of his touchdown passes this week was a little dump off to uh, Daryl Williams out of the backfield, who took it like thirty yards, right? And and Travis Kelsey had three catches, uh, Tyreek Hill had four catches. Like right? they're doing it with not the usual suspects, and Mahomes still isn't really connecting with guys on the deep route, so. The question for this matchup, obviously the Raiders, not really important here. Can the Chiefs win a Super Bowl without Mahomes being the Mahomes that we're accustomed to seeing?
0: No. But I think he can turn it. We've seen him turn it on for most of his career. I have of any player that is like fluctuating, I would put my money on him to have a four game stretch that absolutely dominates, right? Like, but I think no, if he's not like that, they cannot win. I disagree, uh, because
2: this has been a, a humbling uh, sort of stretch for for Patrick Mahomes in, in those weeks, what six through ten, where they were just god awful, nothing on offense, nothing on defense, and now your defense is keeping you enough in the ball games, and Mahomes is figuring out ways that, and uh, not just him, the the entire offense, are figuring out ways that they can create plays, make plays. Uh, without the the usual cast of characters without Tyree Hill being as involved uh, although he's still there as a threat to take the top off the ball uh, without Travis Kelsey being as involved, but again, still a threat to, to, you know, have a hundred, 120 yard game with nine catches over the middle. Uh, but to be able to find ways to do it with guys like Nicole Hardman and, and uh, Daryl, Daryl Williams. And, over the last few games. Now Clyde or T Lair is coming on. They're able to run the ball a lot more effectively over the last few games. I think there's plenty of ways that they can figure out how to maneuver that manipulate the, the other pieces of this offense that they haven't had to rely on because they've been able to hit the big plays in, in the, in the stretches where they were in uh, AFC championship games in the Super Bowl. So now I think it only makes them more strong and, and more complete. Um, and that's a little more scary to me than even the uh, the explosiveness of, uh, of a Patrick Mahomes-led offense.
1: I don't think they can win a Super Bowl this year. Uh, and, and that might seem early to make that prediction. And if I'm wrong, then I'm wrong. But at some point, you are who you are. And, and this isn't to say that – and I went on this rant a couple weeks ago, but this isn't to say that Mahomes is all of a sudden – you know, uh, he was a, th- you know, had those three great years and it was a bust There it was Andy Reid, It was Tyree kill and Travis Kelsey. Now they're falling off. No, it's just, he's entitled to a down year. He's been so phenomenal since the day he stepped in to act like he was going to be this great every single year is just foolish. I don't know if you guys have been watching it, but I've been watching the man in the arena documentary about Tom Brady and the last episode, you know, we was, was talking about that early success that Tom Brady had in his first few years. And then kind of the down year, right? The loss in the New York Giants Super Bowl. And then after that Super Bowl, we didn't see them back in, in another Super Bowl for a while. It wasn't until the, the undefeated team, right? They lost in 2007 to Strahan and the Giants. And then we didn't see Tom Brady playing in another Super Bowl until they played the Giants again in, what was that, 2011? 11. Yeah. yeah. So it's okay for Patrick Mahomes to have some down years. It's okay for the Chiefs to not be built to be this team we, we've expected them to be every single year. I think when they get matched up against the Patriots in an AFC championship game, especially if that game is in Foxborough, they're not going to be able to run the ball like they did yesterday against the Raiders. They're going to have a hard time throwing the ball, again, with Matthew Judon and Christian Barmore and Kyle Van Noy and those guys eating after him up at, at the line of scrimmage. But they're also going to have a hard time throwing on J.C. Jackson. Right. And and say what you will about Jalen Mills. Jalen Mills won a Super Bowl and played against Tom Brady and has been in big games. And and I trust him as a second corner, even though, you know, he's not the greatest. Right. They they still have enough weapons there on the defense, not to mention Devontae uh, uh, Hightower, Devontae Hightower. Right. Like I don't see how the Chiefs score against them. And, And whether it's the Colts in a wild card matchup, whether it's the Titans, even if Derrick Henry ends up coming back, right, pick whatever team in the AFC, I think they all have a legitimate chance to beat the Chiefs because I think Mahomes has to be the catalyst for the Chiefs in order for them to go on and win a Super Bowl. And I don't think their team is built to do that this year. Can they put up big numbers against the Raiders and a bad defensive team at home with all the extra juice about the Raiders doing that victory lap around the field last year? Absolutely. And they put it to the rate. They scored 41 against them earlier in the season. They put up 48 against them yesterday. But it's okay if Mahomes has a down year. It doesn't mean that he's any less great. He's had arguably the greatest first three years as a starter that any quarterback has ever had rivaled only by Tom Brady. So if he has a down year, he has a down year. What made Tom Brady and the Patriots so brilliant is their ability to reinvent themselves as time went on. And that is the next chapter for Mahomes. If what you did your first three years, now this is his fourth year is going to continue working. You might still be great, but you are going to have to find other ways to win games because eventually the league will catch up to you. And, and without him being, and I'm not saying he has to be unbelievable, Patrick Mahomes, but they're going to have a hard time running the ball against whether it's the Packers, whether it's new England, whether it's any of the teams coming out of the NFC, they're going to struggle. And, and I don't know if the chiefs have enough there. Um, and, And again, that game yesterday too, they had the defensive touchdown. They had a lot of stuff break their way. They forced like three turnovers. A lot of that stuff's not going to happen, you know. A lot of that stuff's not going to happen in close games. So I I think Mahomes has to be great in order for them to win championships. Just like the Patriots have needed Tom Brady and Peyton had to be great for the Colts and Denver and all those things too. So, though I guess the defense kind of took that one over for Denver. Um, moving on, Saints and Jets. Uh, this one's kind of quick because I, I don't. I mean, look, the Saints Taysom Hill they win whatever the Saints are kind of in a weird spot. I expect them in the future to kind of move on. Um, I Maybe Jameis is the a- answer. I, I would expect the Saints to also probably try to draft a quarterback this year. Like Kenny Pickett in, in Sean Payton's offense I think would be awesome. Um, but we'll, we'll kind of see maybe they go for a, a more high upside guy like Matt Corral uh, or, or Malik Willis, who's a little more mobile, who's maybe a better version of someone like Taysom Hill. But the Jets – it feels like they're just in this same old Jets pattern. And I like Robert Salah. I, I think he has a chance to be a good coach. But my question revolves more around the New York Jets head coaching job specifically, because I think given the magnitude of it, the history of the Joe Namath of it all, is, is being the head coach of the Jets the hardest job in the NFL?
0: it might be because it's the most difficult to succeed in yeah i'll say that right like it's i mean jacksonville's probably the
1: one argument to it right yeah but you
2: don't have the new york media in jacksonville
1: exactly
0: and so. also and you
1: also have you know bill belichick across the division
0: yeah and, and i was, was the jets head coach general, for a day <laughs> well the jets had had rex ryan who had some success right mm-hmm. but think about like jacksonville jack del rio they actually have had a few good guys come in there but like i just think that um when you're talking about tough to succeed like hardest in terms of that the dysfunction around it getting that team going building out the roster like they have some good players but even just actually getting that team to become a team that's a multi-year deal and you don't even get multiple years to do it most of the time you have so a terrible like, owner
1: too what do yeah that sucks
0: yeah so I, I don't know man i think uh I think that maybe Detroit as a recent, but either one, like those are in the same category. And I wouldn't, because of the media, Scott, to your point, you gotta lean New York. That's going to suck.
1: Like I think they're all in that same realm. I think Jacksonville is at a bit of a disadvantage because people still view them as the, the new team, even though the Texans have been there after, but the Texans at least have had some sustained success throughout some of their history. You know, the, the Jags have two bright seasons. And one of which was completely out of the blue when they went all the way to the AFC Championship game in 20, so 2016, 2017. And then damn near beat the Patriots in the AFC Championship game, too, with, with Blake Bortles. Like that team came out of nowhere, but defensively, yeah. they were so good.
0: They had some, I, I think the media, success, but yeah.
1: I just, I reason. think the media makes it that much harder. And and the one thing was like Rex Ryan, personality wise, is like bigger than the New York media, right? Like it's not something like he doesn't give a shit for better for worse. And when it's good, it works great for the jets. And it did when he was there, the two AFC championship games, but that job just seems so difficult. And they also, by the way, have an awesome GM in Joe Douglas and a coach that everyone thought was a home run higher in Robert Salah. And yet they still haven't been able to do much, you know, in terms of development. I, 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 still think Zach Wilson wasn't the right pick. I didn't love him coming out. I saw the talent. I saw the throws, but it's clear that like, yo, when, when he was playing at BYU, he just wasn't playing at some of the level that you know some of these other guys were. Like it's just in terms of what he had to go up against week in, week out. What's that face, Scotty?
2: Uh, you picked him in our mock draft at number two
1: because it it, it was for the, the Jets. I'm not saying that I wanted him. No, I picked third.
2: No, Zach Wilson went you, two. You had Zach Wilson go to the Jets. I'll bring back the tape. Don't
1: worry. I. <laughs> If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But I really thought I'd pick third in our in our mock
2: draft. Yeah, no, I don't, I don't, I I know you picked Zach Wilson. I, I watched this recently. I'll yeah, bring up yeah, the well, tape. We'll and, let and the to people the point,
0: know. Yeah, So the point of of Jeff though. Like either way, you thought that's where he would go, which is the it was, correct call. Yes, column. you were I, right.
1: I did. And, and still, when you're drafting on upside, I see the upside with Zach Wilson. I do. I I just don't fully buy in and, and, and look if i'm wrong i was wrong like i have no problem saying i'm wrong i i genuinely i mean look that was a while ago so I'm, I'm very positive it very well could be true um and and if i'm wrong i'm wrong crucify me for it but uh zach wilson if he was the third best prospect in the draft he was the third best prospect in the draft or second best whenever it was um i don't know fuck it whatever yeah because what san francisco went third were you third and you took Trey Lance? Well, Is that what at happened? the
2: time? At the time, they only they had the twelve pick. Still, they hadn't traded yet.
1: I know I had Trey Lance as my number two prospect, but I I had the Jets taking Zach Wilson, which I think a lot of people did. Just saying. And hindsight's that? always twenty-two. <laughs> uh, Cowboys, Washington, um, Washington football team. That's a that's a it's a tough loss for them, right? Because they. We're riding a hot streak. They'd won four in a row. They're, they're riding high. And then all of a sudden, this is what I've, again, I've said since the beginning of the year, and everybody's stolen my take because everyone in sports media listens to this podcast clearly, that Tyler Haneke is just the, the next era of Ryan Fitzpatrick. And we saw the opposite side of that, which is you're going to get three or four game stretches that make him look awesome. But he also does so much reckless shit that eventually it's going to catch up to him and kind of screw him over. And that's more or less exactly what we saw in this game against Washington against Dallas now because he's so reckless it's also part of what got them back in the game Cam Sims had that unbelievable touchdown catch on the sideline in the back of the end zone which was an incredibly thrown ball and and on that last drive before Heineke fumbled you know he threw a dime to DeAndre Carter that just went just a little bit too long that just went kind of right through DeAndre Carter's hands and ultimately kind of kept them back uh the NFC East, I think Cowboys with this win have solidified. They're going to win the division. No one else is really close. It's three games back, and there's only four games left to play, even though they're all against NFC East teams. So I guess technically it's possible if the Cowboys lost their last three and said so the Eagles won out and they were 9-7, and seven, and then they might have the head-to-head or Washington or whatever. Um, but I'm more focused on, on the Cowboys in this game because – I can already tell that there's going to be conversations surrounding Dallas, which is, have we slept on Dallas too much? And is, is Dallas like Dallas didn't look great in this. They didn't just not look great. They looked terrible in the second half. They looked awesome in the first half and terrible in the second half. So how far is the gap between where Dallas stands right now? They're fourth in the NFC. They're only a game behind Arizona and green Bay and Tampa Bay but it feels like that gap is a little bit further than maybe the records show. Do you guys think that gap is bigger than what it is or are should we be more seriously taking the Cowboys as a potential dark horse to make the NFC championship game or even make the Super Bowl? Uh
0: very dark horse, right? Like they're not in the realm I think, but the one bright note is um, Dak this is going to sound weird, but a lot of quarterbacks I believe who come back into like, you know, the middle or later in the season, I don't have to play all the games. I look at them in their last, you know, quarter pole stretch that we're about to hit. These last four games going into the playoffs, can they get hot and get that chemistry with all their weapons? I, I think there's something to that. Um, I also, I wouldn't be, um, I guess, telling the whole story if I didn't talk about that defense and what Micah Parsons is doing and and oh. can they really utilize him and get some pressure after quarterbacks? The hardest thing I think in the NFL and a lot of legendary players and coaches will say this, it's you can stop the run and get pressure on the pass or in the regular season, but can you do it when you get to the playoffs? Mm-hmm. And if you can, then you have a really good shot. And I think with their defense, Gregory, they have some beasts on that line, just some really great athletes. That interception. physical, dude. Oh my god! Dude, gosh. that
1: tip in the interception yesterday was wild.
0: Incredible play. Incredible play. So, uh, you know, I, I just think that that team has enough skill players on the defensive side and offensive side to, to be a dark horse, like you're saying. Um, I don't think I'd put my money there, but I, I think that that's a great team to look out for.
2: Yeah. I, look, we talked ad nauseum last week about whether or not we feel like their chemistry is there or missing, uh, on offense, particularly because they look like a juggernaut for the first seven games of the year, eight games of the year. Um, and so that's sort of missing with Zeke banged up, I think, uh, doesn't help, uh, and uh, Amari Cooper has, has been in and out. And, and CeeDee Lamb has had a, a decent year. Michael Gallup has just come back. Tony Pollard has emerged. I think he's an ac- absolute game wrecker. Um, and, he, and he's that much of a game changer that uh, I, I think it made that uh, a huge difference uh, against Washington, uh, the way they were able to move the ball. But really, I mean, Dak didn't look great. Uh, some of the decisions he made. Uh, particularly that one mistake where he just completely did not see the linebacker over the middle for that pick six. Well, and that play I too, was...
1: real quick, and I want, I want you to keep going, but he had an opening to hit Schultz on the crosser. Like they, the, yeah. they had a perfect angle of it with the sky cam and he rolls out and he has no one in his face and Schultz is kind of going across because Schultz basically it's an option route where he can decide to sit or he can kind of keep going and Schultz sat and he was wide open. It was right before he chose to sit. And Dak had the opening, and even after he waited, he still had the whole right side of the field open where he could have led him there a little bit. But instead, he waited too long, had a guy right in front of him, forced the throw, and Holcomb picked it off and ran it back.
2: Yeah, yeah. And so it was it was decisions like that. And so for for all the uh, the chemistry problems that we talked about last week, we we said that Dak was the one thing that was still you know keeping this train moving. So. I don't know if uh, if we can rely on their offense to be uh, as free flowing and 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 uh, and fully clicking and and with chemistry as as it was in the first half of the season. Yeah. That defense though is going to keep you in so many ball games. It's not even funny. Like Michael Parsons is an absolute freak of nature. Uh, and then the the back end on the secondary with with Trayvon Diggs, like I between those two guys alone, I, I think you, they put you in a really good spot. And that defensive line gets at the quarterback, but they put you in a really good spot uh to be in a lot of ball games.
1: Yeah. I, I'm not as high on, on Trayvon Diggs. I know that the interception numbers are crazy. He's got nine picks this year. They've been awesome. Turnovers are a fluky stat. And, and I think there's probably three or four of them, if not more that you can chalk up to just kind of luck being in the right place at the right time. Um, We've seen Trayvon Diggs get burnt several times this year, and uh, and and that's okay. Micah Parsons is, is clearly cemented himself as as an absolute game changer defensively, uh, but he's still a rookie and he's still going to make mistakes. Uh, the biggest flaw with this team is that you can't rely on anybody a hundred percent of the time. There, there's nobody. There's no night in, night out, day in, day out, snap in, snap out that you trust that their team's going to do it. Right. the I don't trust. I mean, literally outside of the two wide receivers, CeeDee Lamb and Amari Cooper, are the only two players I think I trust implicitly on the Cowboys. Zeke can't trust him to be in the game. Right. He's he's had 185 carries, he got 810 yards, but he's also there's been games where he's healthy, quote unquote, and he's got like nine carries. Like it was late into the third quarter, almost fourth quarter yesterday, and he had nine carries in the game. And they were up so much. How are you not giving it to Ezekiel Elliott every single time? And you want to say we're waiting to save him for the playoffs, stuff like that. Whatever. It's like, dude, like you are in the hunt now to not only be, you know, win the NFC East, but they're only a game out. And from from and, and right now, I mean, Arizona is losing this game to LA right now. It's seven to three, but they're still in the hunt to try to get a higher seed in the playoffs. Why Ezekiel Elliott isn't getting twenty to twenty five carries a game is problematic. You can't trust the head coach. I, I, I mean, you can maybe trust the coordinator, right? I think we all like Kellen Moore, but there's still some stuff to left, you know, left to be desired with him. I, the thing with this team is that they can either be awesome, which is why if they got hot come playoff time, they absolutely could make a run to the Super Bowl. I believe that, but I would never bet on it, and and I would not say I'm confident in them being a, a, a top level team right now because. Everything about them screams inconsistency, right? There is nothing consistent on either side of the ball. And sometimes when it all clicks, they look unbelievable. And sometimes when only half the team's there, right? The offense is there, but the defense is not. And all of a sudden we're in a high scoring game. Defense shows up, the offense is, it doesn't, and all of a sudden. And, and then there's those games like the Denver game where nobody shows up and they got their absolute, you know, doors blown in, but the Denver Broncos. So that was to help. <laughs> um those were one of
0: the most unsurprising games of the year by I far think. by yeah, far it's so
1: fun <laughs> by far one of the most surprising games of the year uh falcons and panthers good for the falcons i you know falcons they are in the mix <laughs> they sneakily have have fought their way up they have some some tough losses against uh you know philly which is kind of holding them back right now i believe they also lost the washington football team which hurts them Uh, they're kind of screwed with some of the head-to-heads and some of the way that the wildcard rankings may work out. But uh, it's a team that's kind of building towards something. So I think if you're a Falcons fan, like they're in a kind of similar boat to the Eagles. It's just their quarterback's obviously a lot older. But in terms of the new head coach, it's coming along, ups and downs, got to feel good about it. The Panthers, on the other hand, they were a team that were like that last year. And now we're kind of seeing now in year number two that they're not quite living up to the billing that we saw in 2020. And I like Matt rule. And, and I'm not going to sit here and say, Oh, we have to pull the plug on Matt rule. But ever since the Joe Brady firing, uh, which was really surprising to me uh, and we're already seeing how coveted he is a, a, as a coordinator, he's getting a ton of looks in the NFL, which is part of why, you know, everyone thought, Oh, he's going to go replace Tony Elliott at, at Clemson, or he's going to join Mario Cristobal in Miami. He's going to get more offers to be an offensive coordinator in the NFL. It was really surprising to me that he got let go uh, from the Panthers and it's starting to kind of bring in the question. Now, I think they got to remember too, they, they signed up for that fifth year option on Sam Darnold already, which uh, is kind of tough for them because it means they have to have Sam Darnold back next year. What does the future hold for Carolina? Right. Are they going to try to run out there with a new system and a new offensive coordinator with Sam Darnold or do they say, you know what, we're going to go out and draft a guy, and Darnold's going to be here, and maybe he's going to be the bridge to our next quarterback? Because it looks like the Panthers are probably going to be picking somewhere between 10 and 15 in the draft.
2: Yeah, I think you got to look quarterback, right? Because Cam Newton is clearly not the answer. He has not proven the consistency. God,
1: he's been bad.
0: He was so bad yesterday.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's, it it's fun to too, watch him you when he red
0: zone, because you were like, Oh, he scored another touchdown. Hell yeah, yeah. Right. And then you'll send you watch like a recap and you're like, wait, what? Like, when he's so pulling,
2: bad. when he's pulling the ball down and you're seeing those highlights of him pulling the ball down, you're like, wow, this is like one of the top 10 quarterbacks in the NFL.
0: Yeah. this guy Then you MVP watch the, the whole sure. rest
2: of the game yeah. and watch him throw. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you're like, mm, wait a minute. We didn't have the whole story. So uh, look, man, clearly not the answer serviceable for now. Uh, because they're so banged up that, uh, that it doesn't matter on both sides of the ball, that it doesn't matter. Um, but I think you got to look quarterback, man, because, again, you have this investment in uh, a young, really young defense uh, that you've made over the past two years with Matt Rule at the helm, and you also have uh, a really young running back uh, who's still banged up, and even banged up, I think he's still one of the better ones in the league, by the name of uh, uh, what is Oh, Christian McCaffrey. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, So yeah, Uh, yeah, man, like you have to invest in, in those guys. Like, I don't understand. Like, it, it seems like a no brainer to me. Like, duh, just put the people around the guys that you want to be successful. It's the same thing. I ask about the giants every year. I'm like, why the hell have you not gotten bolstered your offensive line? infinitely so that you can protect your second overall draft pick investment in Saquon Barker. I don't understand. Like just it, it does not connect in my brain. So go out and do that. Get a quarterback who can work in that offense. I I don't know why they fired Joe Brady, but go get a quarterback that works in that offense and can help out Christian McCaffrey be the, the absolutely elite all-star that he is.
0: Yeah. uh, I'm on a similar take where, Listen, I think you just bring in some new players, but I don't know, man. It, it, to me, it looks like when you zoom out and look at this with Darnold and Cam and everything, it's just a coach trying to do his best to win week to week, right? Like, I think he's doing a good job with what is available in front of him. I don't think that this is on him necessarily. I think he's had some good games, some bad ones. Overall, he, he's in that coaching seat where it's it's not hot, it's not cold. He's just, he's just sitting there for a little bit. He hasn't been on it too long. He'll be okay. We'll see what happens yeah. this off season. So, number.
1: This is year number two for Matt Rule, so you know we'll. Yeah. I think we'll see kind of where it goes after this year. I, I like Matt Rule. I think he's a good leader. Um, I, I think that the tough part is, you know, he's a guy who's built his his calling card on defense. Uh, they have obviously invested a lot in the defensive side of the ball, and the defense hasn't been good. Um, the offense is explainable because there is no quarterback. Really, you know, even when Sam Darnold was healthy, he didn't look good. Uh, and, and to give Joe birdie, Joe, Joe Brady, you know, basically, okay, we're going to give you six months to fix Sam Darnold. Oh, you didn't fix Sam Darnold. Okay. Now we're going to give you banged up Cam Newton and PJ Walker. Oh, you didn't succeed with him. Okay. Yeah, man, you're out, which maybe more stuff happened behind closed doors than we know. Um, but I think I, year three, I always say this with college football coaches, year four is the grading year in, in college football, right? That's the year that you have a full cycle of your recruits in the door. And that's the time to judge them. Year three for me is the year for NFL head coaches, where if, if your draft picks, the guys you put in the building, aren't living up to it, then it's time to move on. Uh, Seahawks, Texans. Not much to glean here. I, I, you know Seattle it looks Tyler like
2: Lockett's pretty good
1: <laughs> Tyler Lockett had the classic you know Tyler Lockett game once every few years all of a sudden boom Tyler Lockett becomes a stud um, Is he
0: the best over the shoulder catch receiver Oh um, yes I don't know, like his with, with the is best incredible.
1: with the best deep ball throw in the NFL too like that yeah. that's what makes the two of them so special Um yeah I I I good for Tyler Lockett I don't really have a question here um cuz I just I I Seattle is probably going to have to move on from Pete Carroll at the end of the year. Uh, I, I don't know how you can bring him back at his age, at the lack of production. Because at this point, Seattle, like you've been this team now for a long time. You've been this same level of team for a while. And as much as I, I do like Pete Carroll, it's to sign up for like, hey, uh, we're going to rebuild now with 70 year old Pete Carroll. That just doesn't seem realistic. And I also think, Russell Wilson's probably going to want to leave after this year. Like they've been stuck in this, you know, nine, eight to 10 win zone for five years. And, and with, with an occasional up and down year in between, I think it's similar to Mike Zimmer. It's just kind of time for new blood.
0: Yeah. I don't know. I I think he might get a year. You're right. He's been there a long time. I just think he might get the year given to him because of like injuries and everything.
2: I think so too.
0: I, I don't know, man. I think this is a guy who's done so well for so long. He may be grandfathered in almost to give one or two seasons if he feels like it, but he is also, man, he's a lot older than he looks. And, and I could see him hanging it up soon. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I, I agree about the, the extra year because in this division, they're going to, they're going to mess around and uh, beat the Rams again. And, and they'll find a way to, to, to put together a good game against the Cardinals, the next time they play him and they'll find a way to, to maybe beat the Niners in the, in the last game of the season. And then all of a sudden they're sitting third in the division uh, with a, a, what maybe two or three games under 500. And you're like, well, now we can't really justify firing him for performance.
1: I think they can though, you know, and, and I think ultimately it's going to be a choice. Russell Wilson or Pete Carroll, because Russ, that he didn't leak that stuff out about teams he would get if he was going to get traded these are the teams i would go to like you don't leak that shit unless you're serious about it and yeah i think there's a chance that russell just doesn't come back at all next year regardless if pete carroll's there or not um but your best chance is probably going to be trust you know basically saying almost lebron jamesing it and being like hey russ we're giving you control because i think a lot of the russ thing is that he doesn't have the voice he didn't have the voice of the input in the offense for so long and then the let russ cook movement came through and it's it's like well now he has almost a little too much voice but if you're seattle you, you have to keep this guy at, at all costs and if that means moving on from pete carroll means moving on you, you'll find a replacement for pete carroll a lot easier than you'll find a replacement for russell wilson yeah uh, lions broncos absolute shellacking um I think we'd be remiss if we didn't mention the um, unfortunate news about the passing of Demarius Thomas. Um, that was really, really sad. Uh, yeah. Anyone who's followed the NFL over the last decade knows who Demarius Thomas is and, and knows the impact um, that he had in Denver. Uh, from a football, you know, perspective, you think about the, the Tim Tebow catch and run, right? That kind of put him on the map, and then uh, four-time Pro Bowler. Uh, put up unbelievable numbers, arguably. And, and Vito, I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on this. Best wide receiver in Denver Broncos history, him and him and Rod Smith, probably.
0: Yeah. Um, he, and, and, you know, I think what people need to realize, he was Peyton's number one weapon and was the guy who was there, who was the number one receiver when Peyton broke Tom Brady's records, right. With the touchdowns and yards and everything in a season. Um, Incredible athlete. And and I'll tell you a great story about him. We had, uh, I believe the 24, 24- it was the same year we drafted him, the same year we drafted Tebow. And we had two first-round picks. We traded back yeah. up to get um, Tebow, I think, 24th, and Dallas drafted 25th. So, yeah, he was drafted 21st. Thanks, Scott. Um, so, we drafted him, and the reason it was said so we drafted him, the, the other wide receiver who was still on the board was Des Bryant. Ooh. And we drafted Demarius Thomas because of the fact that – he is su- was such a good teammate, locker room guy off the field, didn't make a lot of noise, wasn't was, it was never about him. He was always about the team. He's one of the most quiet star wide receivers, fits in with that Marvin Harrison style, right, that, that Peyton loves, which is kind of funny that you play with them both. But, um, you know, just it's sad when you see someone like that go, obviously, who, who, like, you admire and did anything. I don't care what your profession is, but if you do something very, very well and you do it the right way, it's admirable. And, and he's a guy who like, no one can be ashamed to say, like, I looked up to that guy. You know what I mean? Yeah. I
1: mean, he did so much off the field too. The, yeah. the story uh, with his mom, you know, yeah. getting get a chance to see him play in the playoffs for the first time when she was incarcerated and um, President Obama actually um, is the one who,
2: who he, he got appealed. her released. yeah she was,
0: It was a low level, like weed offense back yeah. in the day. Right. They, they, they raided somewhere and she was there and there was weed. And so, it's one of those things where it's like, wait, what? And she's in jail for years. Right. And so he yeah. helped get that all done with Obama and got her out, which is incredible. And she had these games. So, yeah, and I mean, he wrote just- an
1: unbelievable article on the player's tribune, uh, which I encourage everybody to go out and, and read. Um, he just retired last year.
2: And um, June, which is yeah. Before is, the season,
1: which is wild. Um, and I'm sure more, more information will kind of come out about everything, but just to really, really tough day for i think for not just broncos fans but just for for anyone who's followed the nfl um because he was uh incredibly well liked well respected you know and they always say that the the true character and and um the the true way that people really can value somebody uh is what happens after you leave and the response after you leave and and i think the way that the the sports world responded after that was was significant um to the game, uh, there was a bunch of really cool tributes. Uh, multiple times, Justin Simmons' interception, which was an unbelievable play, was, running over the, the best one to the yeah. eighty-eight, yeah. slamming the ball down. Um, it was really, it was really special. And and look, the Lions—they've had a rough year. That's, there's there's no surprise there, right? They're not breaking any news by saying that. Um, but the Broncos—they're—they're uh, they're a pretty good football team. Uh, at the end of the day, well, the the defense is good, uh, and when they can run the ball. You know, they're they're a team that you don't want to mess with, really.
0: No, yeah. but it's just one of those funny moments where I was watching, like, damn, are we good? And I'm like, no, nah, we're playing the Lions. Like we had this at the beginning of the year when the Broncos played those three teams that all didn't win for weeks and weeks and weeks, and it was the same moment, like, damn, man, we look really good. Like, can we can we make a late run here? And, the, and then I was like, all right, we're playing the Lions. Why don't we beat somebody else and all like feel impressed? You know, well, so this where do we where
1: do we stand in our bet though? Was it was double digits, correct? Double digit wins.
0: Yeah, we're at. We have seven wins. So you're at
1: seven and six right now.
0: So we need to win three of the last four.
1: And uh, wow, it's it's nut cutting time now. Three of the last four <laughs> means home home against the Bengals on Sunday, at the Raiders next week, at the Chargers and home against the Chiefs. Got to win three out of those four. The Raiders feels like it probably can be a win. Uh, I don't know, man. Uh,
0: Bengals and Chargers. We gotta th- it'll be a good it'll be a good finish here. I'm glad the bet is at least coming down to the end. <laughs>
1: yeah, we're 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 getting down to the wire. It's gonna be it's gonna be fun to see. Uh not a whole lot else from there. Uh the Niners Bengals game. Um so this one, look, I, I think top to bottom, I think these two teams are it's ironic because they have the same record. They're both seven and six. I, I think they're kind of very similar teams in terms of where they rank in compared to the rest of the league right I think they're both kind of dangerous teams teams that can beat you in a couple different ways but I saw some stuff out of Joe Burrow in this game would you guys both know like I've been a huge Joe Burrow fan for for a while Uh, considering the state his pinky was in a week ago uh, for him to come out and that fourth quarter drive and everything that kid just has such an enormous set of balls (laughs) like he just is never afraid of the moment and you know, I asked this question to you, Scotty, I, I think it was a couple of weeks ago, but, you know, you're looking at the, the crop of young quarterbacks out there right now that have been drafting the last couple of years, right? Like take Lamar and take Patrick and, and, you know, maybe even include Kyler in it still, but just from the last couple of years, Justin Herbert made some unbelievable throws and we'll get to that game in a second. Uh, but Joe Burrow is making, a, making a, a very strong case for proving as to why you draft him, even though he may not have the arm talent or the athleticism that some of these other guys have, he's got that cliche it factor in him. So when it comes down to it, when you're drafting a quarterback, would you rather draft the guy who looks and throws and runs like Justin Herbert or the guy that has that, that clutch gene in him, like Joe Burrow, who just maybe isn't quite as talented, but still obviously he's an NFL caliber player. Like I'm not trying to say he's not a talented player. he's unbelievably talented, but
2: I'm going to, I'm going to stick with because I think that that clutch factor is so hard to determine, and maybe they have it in college, but it doesn't translate to the NFL as well. Whereas a guy like Justin Herbert, his skill set translates on, on both fronts in the college and the NFL. So I think the safer bet would be to take the guy who has the the same skill set and look and 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 feel for the game that Justin Herbert does um, over the guy that you might hit on with the, uh, with the clutch gene that, uh, that Joe Burrow has. But still, like, unbelievable to watch
0: what he's doing. It's, it's really tough. It's a great question, I think, because every year we get to March and April and leading up to the draft, and there's always the question of this guy's a proven winner but this guy's really talented and yep. which one means more, right? It, it's the endless debate. It's, it's the LA versus Marino. or well, even that, like, I mean, Marino won a lot more as junior, but it, it's it's talking about all these different guys coming out to the draft, Ryan Lee payment, all, all these arguments. But I think personally, if they're in that discussion, right, Jeff, if they're in the top three or three or four quarterbacks, I think you go with the clutch gene. I think what it shows you is there's some guys who have fallen had that like like i'll say this lamar jackson has a clutch gene when you watch him you see it now it might not show up in the end result like you need to make sure right they might not win every game but in the end of the game like do they have it do they have that tenacity that you're talking about and i think if they're in that top realm of ability but yeah they don't throw the ball 80 yards they only throw it 60 i'm taking them still yeah i'm leaning more towards that trait it's
1: a really interesting debate right because look at the last four first overall picks, right? Go back to Baker. Like Baker had that it factor, right? He had that moxie. He had that personality that you kind of go after. Lamar has developed that since being in the league, right? Because it wasn't until this year that Lamar had any fourth quarter comebacks and he's had four this year. And so now it seems like he's starting to get there. But you would say that Lamar, you know, for the majority of his career didn't have that, but has been the better player, better quarterback that was taking that class than Baker Mayfield has, despite Baker doing what he's done. And I went on that rant earlier when we we're talking about the Bengals. Uh, the next year, Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray didn't really have much of the clutch gene per se, but was very clearly the most talented quarterback coming out of that class. And, you know, there wasn't really a clutch gene guy in that class, right? I mean, because who, who else went? Danny Dimes? And there was a, wasn't there a third quarterback who went in that draft too, in the first round? It was Kyler and then Danny Dimes. I think there was a third quarterback who I'm, I'm blanking on and people at home are probably like, it's this person, you idiot. Um, But I mean, and even like, I just forgot too, in that first draft in the Baker draft, you know, Josh Allen, Josh Allen wasn't the clutch gene guy, but he was the most talented and he's kind of had the best career out of everybody. Uh, Him and Lamar have kind of that, but then you look at, you know, the Joe Burrow draft and and Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert, Joe Burrow's won a bunch of games has been really good. Justin Herbert's won a bunch of games. Uh, And and now look at this year's class, right? Trevor Mm. Lawrence and Zach Wilson and Trey Lance and all these guys who can throw the ball further than anyone else, but who's been the best rookie quarterback so far. It's been Mac Jones who definitely wasn't the, the most talented, but has been that guy who's been able to handle the pressure and that role the best. So it can be a bit of a crapshoot, but it's an interesting kind of debate. Um, yeah. The other half of that, you know, pan, you know, tandem, because I think we're going to be comparing Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert together for a long time. I think they're going to be the two guys drafted in that class, and you can even throw to it in there a little bit too, um, <laughs> depending on what happens with the Dolphins moving forward. But the Chargers looked really good on Sunday. And when they're clicking, and I know they're playing the Giants, and the Giants stink, but – Justin Herbert, man. I mean, that throw, that deep throw to Jalen Guyton. I remember he's, he's missing a Cannon. He's he's missing Keenan Allen in this game. Uh, he was lucky to get Mike Williams back in time. Uh, wow, just a, a, a jaw dropping performance, I think, from Justin Herbert. Uh, and and it's hard. I'm hard pressed to to pick against him, right? Because I love Joe Burrow. I love everything about Joe Burrow, and I have since he was in college. But Justin Herbert, man, just some of the stuff he does, it just it drops your jaw, man. It really does.
0: Yeah, he throws the football with a velocity and just – I don't know what it is, but when you watch it, it looks like the old Elway tapes, and you're just like, this guy throws the ball better. Like, you know, he is a professional thrower. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I don't know in what – He's like, an elite play, Put him in yeah. any fucking throwing sport. I don't care. He's an elite thrower of anything. He could probably pitch – amazing look how tall he is put him in a handball
1: put him in a handball tournament you know? oh, oh my, yeah. dude he's Get throwing darts Olympics. in a handball tournament <laughs> put him in dodgeball like
2: fuck. <laughs> he'd take yeah he's, heads off. he's the ringer in dodgeball no doubt
1: do uh, uh he's, do the chargers. Unbelievable. do the chargers make a run legitimately because i i they have to play kansas city again and they're only a game behind and they already beat kansas city once this year
0: and let's play the broncos so i'm gonna say no they don't make a run
1: <laughs> I, think, I think they got
2: the Raiders and the Texans on the schedule. They're good. Uh,
0: <laughs> I think that's
1: probably two wins against the Raiders and the Texans, and if they can beat Kansas City, I just don't be shocked if the Chargers win the AFC West. I don't think it'll happen. I think Kansas City has a will win the remainder of their schedule. But whenever that Kansas City and Chargers game is, the second one this year is going to be must see TV. Absolute so must Thursday,
2: Jeff. Oh, it's this, this Thursday. Thursday I'm sorry. Yeah, what
1: am I saying? It's this Thursday night game. Short rest, too. And uh hopefully Keenan Allen gets back in time. That's gonna be fun. Because I and, and you know what? That will be the perfect test to see if Kansas City is for real this year. Because if they struggle with the Chargers, especially with that defense, like they should be able to move the ball well against that defense, but Can their defense stop an elite offense? Because even though the Chargers or the Chiefs have been playing well and much better on defense, they haven't played a high-powered offense in a while, and the Chargers would be a great test for that. It's going to be a fun game on Thursday night. Uh, The other and the last of the 4 o'clock games, Buffalo and Tampa Bay. Very entertaining fourth quarter. Overtime was electric. Weird game from start to finish. Uh, It was 24-3 to at halftime. The Bucks were cruising. The reemergence and shout out to you, Scotty. You talked about the Lender Fournette last week and, and being a difference maker, and he had an, another unbelievable run. I don't know what's gotten into Lenny. Uh, the playoffs haven't started yet. I don't know if anybody told Playoff Lenny that, but he's in full <laughs> Playoff Lenny mode. He is running the ball with velocity, with speed, uh, breaking tackles left and right. Uh, but the Bucks defense, and we saw it in that fourth quarter, is susceptible. If you have a guy – if you're playing a good quarterback, which obviously Tampa Bay is going to play throughout the year, whether it's Kyler – or in the playoffs, whether it's Kyler, whether it's Aaron Rodgers, or even Dak, if you're playing a really talented quarterback, especially one that can move a little bit, you can beat these guys because they're they're still not 100% healthy in the secondary. They finally are as healthy as they've been in a while. They got Carlton Davis back. Antoine Winfield Jr. is playing really good football. Uh, And and obviously you have – Richard Sherman for however much you can get out of Richard Sherman kind of as their third cornerback on, on that side, the two linebackers had definitely had letdowns to me. And and the question I want to phrase, this is, is which of the two halves, because this game was a tale of two halves. So which is closer to the reality, right? Is Tampa Bay that good as we saw in the first half, right? Which is a little bit closer to their ceiling. Uh, or is what we saw in the second half, what was a little bit more back and forth closer to where these two teams kind of stand right now between Buffalo and Tampa Bay?
0: Man, I think it's, it's closer to the second half, but just because I think Buffalo played so poorly, but I think the bucks that first half and what we saw, I think we're gonna see a lot of that down the stretch, right? Mm -hmm. They're hitting this stride. I think we're gonna see a lot of that. The bills damn well better not have a first half like that again. Like they need to step their shit up, man. They've been inconsistent. And they're on the border, right? Of of just being a one and done. They could easily lose their first playoff game. Easily. There's no guarantee for them. So I, I'm really worried about them actually. And I, I love them, but they just haven't they're in done the last it.
1: spot. And, they're in the last seed of the playoffs
0: right now. Yeah, and they don't run the ball. So like I'm just worried about what's gonna happen with them. We'll see.
2: Yeah. And I said on thursday's pod it's going to be really difficult to run the ball against this team with the running back room that they have and you saw they they had designed run plays for josh out like little like power left for for josh allen which ended up one of them ended up with like it was a 18 yard touchdown um but man they are they are a tough defense to play up front but you're right if you can exploit that uh and i expect teams like like green bay uh uh, potentially Dallas, although I don't know what's going on there, uh, to, and, and Arizona's offense, which is a little more dynamic too, to, to be able to exploit that and, uh, and, you know, throw the ball a little bit more too, on top of it. And especially if you have a mobile quarterback, uh, that, that can really change the game. Uh, it's, it's going to be trouble for Tampa Bay for, for Buffalo. I look, there is no denying that that fourth quarter uh, push was largely built on the back of the defense because the defense did so well to, to force Tom Brady to, to make decisions and throw the ball. And, and they did a really good job of, of getting stops when they needed to. Yeah. Uh, so that defense is, is absolutely stout. It's the one thing that's going to keep them in games. But in a playoff game, you need both sides of the ball clicking, man, and and, and it can't, they play it, it can't
1: all fall on Josh Allen.
2: Exactly, you it know, like, I was just gonna say, it can't all be on the on the shoulders of the quarterback, right? You've got to have Stefan Diggs doing more to to get open when he ends up with seven catches for seventy nine yards. It's not gonna cut it in a playoff game where you need no. to find him in the end zone. Right. And, and teams uh, are, so-
1: teams are like designing against the Diggs in in particular, like teams are, are intentionally double teaming him. They're especially like Tampa Bay's secondary is known for being very physical. So they have to a find a way to run the ball. I mean, Cole Beasley, Emmanuel Sanders, neither one of them has been the impact player that a lot of people thought that they could be now in the in late in that second half. Cole Beasley was huge. He picked up like three or four huge first downs. And Gabriel for them, just, Davis too. Uh, and yeah. Gabriel Davis as well. But it, late in the second quarter, Tampa Bay, or sorry, Buffalo had ran the ball five times and then they had the fake punt. And, included, and excluding the fake punt, all five of those carry, carries, this, again, this is late in the second quarter where Josh Allen designed runs. So if he is your only source of running, I think that, the first half is more indicative of where these teams are. I think Buffalo is in serious trouble. The defense is good, but it's not going to win you games solely because of how good they are. They need some help complimentary wise on the other side, especially without Tredavious White. If Tredavious White is healthy, I would say they can probably, they'll be in every single game because the defense is that complete. But the secondary is not as good without Tredavious White. And they're not a good run stuffing team. Milano is an awesome linebacker. Um, But it can't all fall on him because they don't have that three technique, that Chris Jones, that Fletcher Cox, that Vince Wilfork type of, you know, interior defensive lineman that's going to be able to help slow down the run. I love Ed Oliver, but he was in defensive end who put on some weight and shifted down to kind of a pseudo three technique who's more creating pressure on the inside like we talked about on Friday because Buffalo's whole MO throughout the offseason was to get after Patrick Mahomes. So, I I mean, look, with with Josh Allen, he's such a wild card. I, I could see them. Some When they're playing their best, they could make it to the Super Bowl. But, again, similar to what we talked about, what I said with, with Patrick Mahomes, at some point you are who you are, and we are 14 weeks into the season, and I think we know who the Buffalo Bills are. Uh, Sunday night game, the Packers overcome a sketchy start. Uh, that game was drunk as hell, especially that second quarter. 45 total points scored in the second quarter, uh, we saw a pick six. I don't know what the hell's gotten into Razzle Douglas. I remember him on the Eagles getting burnt left and right. He's been on like six different teams since then. Uh, and then that kid, Grant, man, that punt return was wild. How about this, guys? That punt return for the touchdown was the first punt return for a touchdown in the entire NFL this
0: season. I couldn't really? believe it, but yeah. yeah. Isn't that it was wild? a wild beast? Like It's rare to get a 90-something, especially it on a was- punt.
1: It was fitting that he was playing for the Bears because it was very Devin, Devin hester s yeah. right? <laughs> like was. starting to the right, cutting back, going all the way back to his own, like, four-yard line and then taking it all the way to the house. That kid can fly. Uh, he was on Miami last year. I don't know how the Bears ended up with him. Uh, for a second, it seemed like, hey, maybe the Bears got some magic in them. Uh, but the Packers are just really, really good, man. And they still don't have Jair Alexander back which means that secondary, that defense is just going to get better and better. They sat him out for another week just to get him a little healthier, uh, thinking, hey, you know what? We don't have to worry too much. But I got to say, my big takeaway from this game, because I think we all kind of expected that the Packers would end up winning the game and probably win it comfortably, which ultimately they did. I was really, really impressed with Justin Fields. Me too. Like, I just – Me too. Like, I hand up things we were wrong about for him to be as good as he's been despite playing for Chicago. Um he's been spectacular. I I think he's going to continue to get better and better assuming that they fire Matt Nagy and they bring in a coach who who can <laughs> help develop him a little bit more so and is maybe less reluctant to start Andy Dalton over this guy because if Justin Fields is your starter from week 1, the Bears might be in the you know in the playoff conversation right now because both times the Packers have played the Bears. Justin Fields has kept them in that game against a really good defense. He's so athletic. He's got a great arm. And what I've been really impressed with with Justin Fields is his acceptance of sitting in the pocket and, and and working through progressions and throwing the ball, which is stuff he was taught at Ohio State, but didn't have to face as much because his wide receivers were so good because he had so many open throws. But the the skill of sitting down, working through the progressions understanding that like that's my biggest gripe with like Jalen Hurts like if you're asking me would you rather have Jalen Hurts or Justin Fields I would much rather have Justin Fields right now because I, there's just there's some quarterback specific things that he's doing that when they all break down he relies on his athleticism but he is still sitting in the pocket and delivering really good throws and then when all hell breaks loose because he's playing for the Bears and Jason Peters is his left tackle and, and when he went out it was a rookie Tevin Jenkins who came in then he's using his athleticism to make plays i'm super impressed with justin fields
2: yeah i'm more impressed with his progression so far this year than uh, trevor lawrence even uh, just because of the way that the and it's weird because we just talked we ca- talked about the coaching staff at the top of this for the bears we were talking about the uh, with the vikings game and it's like it's weird how they have somehow still managed to be able to develop justin fields Uh, better than uh, Urban Meyer and his coaching staffs uh, has been able to develop Trevor Lawrence. So uh, like what he's doing and, and yeah, you're right. I mean, you didn't have to sit in the pocket a whole lot in uh, at Ohio state uh, because, you know, his offensive line was pretty good and his receivers were really good. So he was getting rid of the ball. Like he was uh, still
1: sitting in the pocket. Like, I, I don't know if I I'm trying to figure out a way, the best way to explain this, like he was still going through progressions. It's just his first option was almost always open. You yeah, know, and yeah. the pressure wasn't there. And now he, he has that baseline of skill, whereas like with Jalen Hurts, it was more like we're going to run these option plays. And so that pocket stuff was never really developed in college. So Ryan Day instilled a lot of that in Justin Fields. And now he's at a point where it's like he's catching up to the speed more and more each week. He's been the second best rookie quarterback by far behind Mac Jones.
2: Mm.
0: Yeah, And I'm excited because you guys know I, he was my second quarterback. You were, all over it, him. you were all over it. You were all over it. And I think it's interesting because I, I, I said this way back in the draft, and I'll just bring it up as my point here is that I still think that this this stretch where the Broncos got Sertan, and then Micah Parsons went, and then Fields went, those three or, or I don't maybe it was Fields and Parsons, those three.
1: We had Devonte Smith in there too. I'm just and, saying, like
0: the the end of yeah. the like when it actually finished up, those three were in a row, and those three are going to be, in my opinion, like a defining section of this draft
1: yeah no i i completely agree um all three have been excellent um and and the packers they're still my they're still my pick they're still my pick to win the super bowl i i I think they're the best and most complete team in football and aaron Rodgers, man he is he is so fucking good he is so fucking good at football it's absurd i love watching him play like i get everyone like I, I know why people love Tom Brady, they love watching him play and the growth and, and all the stuff he's done throughout his career. And he's no question the GOAT. But there's never been a quarterback I enjoy watching play more than Aaron Rodgers ever. And if you could say, hey, in your lifetime, here are the quarterbacks you can have be the quarterback for the Eagles for a decade, Aaron Rodgers would have been my first pick every time. Because I every time he throws the ball, I expect it to be a, a big player or, or a, a touchdown. Um, all right, that being said gonna wrap up the pod the same way we have for the last uh, month or so now. who's your MVP? Scotty we'll start with you and then Vito will we'll get your take
2: he was on a bye week but it's still Jonathan Taylor uh, he's just so explosive man uh, the things he does out of the backfield uh, you're
1: such a 50 year
2: old man man why? Because it's just, that, it's like, the
1: reluctance to be like the the it's the same thing we're talking about, with the Heisman thing. Like you you said it yourself, you have the bias to be like, I'm gonna pick someone who's not a quarterback, which hey, don't get wrong, Jonathan Taylor's amazing and probably should be offensive player of the year. But I
2: look to me so the sixth
1: seed, you know, they're the sixth seed in the AFC, might might be in danger of not even making the playoffs. They just got into into the playoffs for the first time this year.
2: That's fine. They're gonna make the playoffs. He's he's the MVP of me. You take him out of that team, and that team is two and 14 at the end of the year two and 15 yeah.
0: so i understand uh, i get the argument i do i just disagree. do you do you guys think okay and and I, i'm gonna start off by saying i personally right i think that right now mine would be brady um and i think it's a pretty safe pick if kyler murray didn't get injured though god damn man his just his rating his completion percentage like he's just crushed he's over 70 he's the only major guy i guess i say over 70 percent, besides tua but w- whatever so mm-hmm. it's 72.7 he's got um the second highest quarterback rate um, the mm-hmm. highest quarterback rating of anyone who actually started games not mm-hmm. just a receiver throwing a ball so for me like it's brady with a one of those things where like you remember when obviously you do jeff but when like carson wentz went down and he was pretty deserving i think he was more deserving than kyler is this year we'll see the year finishes up but I just think that that's a, it's a shame that, that Kyler got injured.
1: Yeah, no, I'm with you. And, and I think, I think Me if Kyler too. doesn't you get hurt, team. I think if Kyler doesn't get hurt, he's absolutely in the conversation. I think he was the leader in the clubhouse before, before he got hurt. Um, but you know, Vito, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. It's Tom Brady. Uh, I've, I've been saying Aaron Rodgers for a while, but I'll throw this out to you guys. So Tom Brady is on pace. Through, this is a 16-game on pace, not with the of game, just through 16 games. He's on pace for 68% completions, 5,088 yards, 44 touchdowns, and 12 interceptions. So this is – and I'm going to follow it up with this. This is the, the complete list in NFL history of quarterbacks who have thrown for 5,000 yards, 68% or better completion, 44-plus touchdowns with 12 or fewer interceptions. And it's Peyton Manning in 2013 with the Broncos. There's one quarterback in the history of the NFL to put together stat lines like this. And that is the pace that Tom Brady's on right now. And he's 44 years old. We said it very early on, week one, when he threw what, like three touchdowns and all of them, or he had five touchdowns, but three of them came from the goal line. Tom Brady wants the MVP this year. And for as amazing as Rodgers has been, uh, I think. For better, for worse, the COVID thing is going to be held against them. And Tom Brady, again, sixty-eight percent completion, five thousand yards, forty-four touchdowns, and twelve interceptions is what he's on pace for. If he comes close to that, if especially if he clips five thousand yards, and that's before the seventeenth game, which will probably end up sitting out anyway, I think you have to give it to Tom. Talk about talk about importance, Scotty, yeah. in, in your argument. Where's where's Tampa Bay without Tom Brady?
2: Yeah, no. I It's fair. I just think there's still a better team without Tom Brady than the Colts are without Jonathan Taylor. Um uh, but hasn't Tom Brady thrown something like 110 passes and you, like in the last two games total? That's ridiculous for a 44-year-old. Oh, it's like and he was running What are we him. doing? He's sideboarding, man.
1: I also saw they had a stat on Southern Night Football or it might it might have been in like the halftime show, but Tom Brady has tied Jerry Rice for the most touchdowns scored after the age of 40, just because he's had, he's at 10 because of the
0: QB sneaks. It's amazing. Like Jerry Rice is the most longevity, right? Like that's why he was amazing. He played so long for in such a high level and Brady gets as many touchdowns as him. And when I first heard that, I was like, yeah, because instantly a lot of people sometimes don't realize like throwing touchdowns do not count. No. This is rushing yeah. like <laughs> or catching. I think Tom he Brady's had, had 10 rushing yeah. touchdowns since turning 40. Oh, that's it. Yeah. Cause he had a catch when he was like 38 or 39 too. The dude is just insane.
1: And he's not done. Like he looks just as good. He's going to play for at least I'm done predicting. It's probably going to be a minimum of two. Uh, He's just, he's spectacular, man. Like we're, we are living through and and including the NBA here, two of the greatest athletes of all time Mm. still extending their, their careers with LeBron Still being great, and I know he's not. It seems like LeBron's finally starting to hit the down year this year. He's starting to get injured for the first time in his career. Um, but Brady, with the way that they're protecting quarterbacks and the way they protect him physically, but even he would got into a tussle with that Oliver last night, you know, and he's still going head first into goal lines. He's just he's that there was one throw in particular where he's fallen back and just he saw the guy in his face and he threw a little. Little rainbow shot to Mike Evans going across the field on a third and long, and it Mike Evans catches it right at, at the at the out of bounds mark at the two yard line. It was just, it, it's unbelievable, man. And again, I I still think Aaron Rodgers has probably been as good, if not better. And you're right, Scotty. He's thrown the ball an insane amount, which is definitely a little bit of pad statting or stat padding. God, it's that's how you know the pod's going too long. Some. I'm doing my vocal dyslexia, uh, but yeah, man, Brady's my MVP. Uh, all right. That's all we got for now. Um, Oh, breaking news as we head out, Spencer Rattler is going to South Carolina.
0: Ooh,
2: Uh, Shane Beamer Cox guy.
1: Yeah. I like that to be honest. I like Shane, Shane Beamer. Uh, I like what they've done at South Carolina and, um, yeah, that's going to be fun, actually. Good for Spencer Rattler. I hope he gets a little revival there. That's a, that's a nice landing spot for him and a chance to – it's wild, man. Thinking about if you had that future as, you know, Spencer Rattler, number one overall pick going into this season, there was some serious – you know, he was the heavy favorite, and now he's going to be the quarterback at South Carolina next year. As uh, mm. Ferris Bueller says, life comes at you pretty fast. And uh, it certainly did for Spencer Rattler. Uh, that's all we got. We'll be back on Friday. Hope everyone has a wonderful week. Go crush it this week. So nice to have the whole pod back together. Felt, felt right. And uh, hopefully we're able to do the same to you heading into week 15. So for Scotty and Vito, I'm Jeff. We'll talk to you guys on Friday. And as always, take it easy.